Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, it's Friday. I'm just rearranging things on my desk here, all the things I forget to do at the last minute. Where's my notebook? Wait a minute. I'm missing a notebook. Hang on. This could be interesting. I wonder where I put it. Oh, hang on. What? Back here? No, it's not back there. Is that what it is? Oh, ah, here we go. Found it. No, that's the wrong one. Well, that's interesting. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I know where I put it. Ah, here we go. Sorry, I had it in my backpack. Don't mind me. <laughs> it's Friday, can you tell? Anyway, so a little disorganized, as always. Um, this is going to be an interesting show. We've got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, I've got Jason Myers on the line right now. I'll catch him in, in just a second. But um, this is... Well, I might even continue this next week. I don't know. Title of the show today, Racing to the End of the World Part 3, The Debt Spiral. I should have called it The, the Death Debt Spiral because I didn't have enough characters left. But that's pretty much what's going on. So we're going to talk about that a lot over the course of the show, uh, the whole idea of this, this national debt. I wrote something on Facebook I just want to mention now. Kind of get you all interested. In fact, uh, Jason may want to comment on this uh, or not. depends. I wrote, uh, Government Economics, Raise the Debt Ceiling. Borrow and spend above the debt ceiling. Claim we need to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations. And then raise the debt ceiling. <laughs> so it becomes cyclical. Raise the debt ceiling. Borrow and spend above the debt ceiling. Claim we need to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations. And then raise the debt ceiling, which brings us right back to the beginning. All right. So probably the best way to introduce Jason is to play what I play every day for him, which is our, uh, our, our wonderful uh, commercial. Um, and it sort of explains pretty much everything they do over at Stand Your Ground. At least I hope so. If not, Jason, feel free to tell me. So let me uh, play this, and then I'll bring him on. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand Your Ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website, and learn how you can best stand your ground. Well, I guess that about sums it up, so let's give them a round of applause. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, Greg. How are you today? I'm having a great time. It's Friday. Life is good. It's, it's sunny out here, not too hot. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because I get up at 4 o'clock every day, so I'm up with the, uh, the birdies. So I hear the birdies singing in the trees and get to watch the sunrise. It's, it's pretty cool. So uh, life is great. show's going well. Um, all kinds of things happening that I can't tell you about right now, <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff going on <laughs> at Action Radio, which is always interesting. So tell me, let's introduce yourself again uh, to, to the audience and stand your ground, and then, then you can give me all the news. I guess paintball is probably the big story, but let's, uh, let's, get, let's get everybody caught up with, uh, with you and uh, what's happening. Well, Greg, you always do a, such a great job of introducing us. I don't know if I can you know, uh, uh, add more to that, but I'll try. We'll just make up something good then. Uh, 
<laughs> you were a stowaway on a freighter. You ended up in a, uh, as a, as a, I don't know, you know, white slave trade. You know, you're being sold in the Middle East to um, sheik. You know, you're the camel herder. I mean, I don't care what you make up. Just make up something. Jesus, oh, that, that couldn't be any closer to the truth. I woke truth up in the Russian gulag. It, it was bad. I met Solzhenitsyn a long time ago. He inspired me to to commit freedom everywhere I could. How's that sound? I, just, I literally just right, that up, so. right. Okay. Well, uh, our indoor gun range is still under construction. We have slowed down on it just based on the supply chain of getting certain things that we need for the range. Uh, mm-hmm. It is still going though. Our axe yeah. throwing, man, that thing just. It, it, it astounds me whenever we get people in there uh, and how much fun they have. Um, our self-defense classes, of course, we've added jiu-jitsu. I believe Jack was on the show with us once before. That's We're right. Yeah, I remember karate. that. Jack jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Uh, You've heard of it's like Gracie, yes. whatever that, that stuff is. Uh, but, I mean, I like Jack jiu-jitsu. That's, uh, what, what do you specialize in? I specialize in Jack jiu-jitsu. Really? What's that? It's well, right. Jiu-jitsu by Jack, you know. But, it, you know, I mean, you, you, can, you can make a name out of that, you know, have, a, have like a special title. We teach Jack jiu-jitsu. And people go, what's that? I mean, they might come in just, like, just out of curiosity for that alone. Go ahead, marketing thing. Use it. Absolutely. I think we're going to try and integrate that. Yeah. Um, so the gun store, um, we are still building on that there. Uh, the community is okay. really getting to, to know that we're around. Um, unbelievably, our security guard classes have just been astronomical, the amount of people coming through our classes to get their security license in here in Florida. Good. Um, the concealed weapons have slowed down tremendously. And well, course, we don't need permits anymore. Based on, yeah, permits well, are what? July 1st, we don't need a permit? Or what? Is, it, is that what that takes effect? Okay. Well, with July 1st coming around, the things that people still may want the permit for is when you're traveling outside of the state and you want to conceal, you still need that permit. Um, that's one oh, thing. Two, that's interesting. If, you, if you are wanting to avoid the three-day wait, which let's face it, sometimes you go ahead and do your background check and it can take 10 seconds or it can take 10 hours. You don't know which way it's going to be. But if you mm-hmm. don't want to have to wait that three business days as soon as they give you that approval so you can walk out the same day with the firearm, that's, of course, you need your concealed weapons permit for that. Um, and let's face it, there's a lot of people out there with firearms that don't know how to use them. And, and we really love when people come to the class and they want to show that responsibility as a gun owner. They want to know how to use it, how to clean it. What are the laws? Just because you can carry it doesn't necessarily mean that you have the authority to use it. You know, they, they want to be responsible. So we love those people. Well, Thank let's, you so let's, much let's talk that. about that for a minute. I mean, I'm writing down things. I want to get back to everything that we're mentioning here um, as we, we go back to it. But uh, the training, I've long felt that gun stores, if they could, should offer a lesson, especially to first-time owners, gun owners, uh, mm-hmm. with the purchase of a firearm. I mean, why not do that? You know, you could, do, you could start a trend um, right now saying, you know, we provide – uh, a lesson or maybe even, you know, or for a certain cost, you know, maybe like a first free lesson, but it, you put together like a three lesson class and we'll talk about, you know, the actual gun itself, the maintenance, taking it apart, putting it back together. That might be one lesson. Uh, the next lesson might be um, accuracy on the firing range and, and introducing some kind of stressful situation, introducing defensive situations. And the third one might be, you know, laws, regulations, when you can, when you can't. So that'd be more of a classroom kind of thing, but you can put together a program and, and charge for it. 
um, but maybe like a first lesson, you know, intro just to kind of get people familiar with their gun that they're purchasing. That might be the first lesson. Anyway, you guys can work it out. But the thing is that uh, gun stores don't do this. And this is one of the fundamental problems, I think, with the firearms industry, that uh, because it is what it is and because it is so controversial and because, you know, the, the, the whole point is, is that it, the potential for lethal force is there, that's what makes it a deterrent. Nobody wants to get shot. And so because of that, um, there's a responsibility uh, in the same way that, you know, as a flight instructor, uh, as much as I have, I'm getting a little background noise. You, you must be, you know, redoing your books on your desk or something. Anyway, everything, everything gets picked up um, by the mic. It's kind of weird. Anyway, but as a flight instructor, uh, I, as, as much as I disagree with the FAA training, obviously I wrote my own book on how to do it better. Um, I still appreciate the fact that people were trained to fly airplanes. I don't want them flying up there right. not knowing a single thing about what to do. They're endangering right. everybody on board, everybody, everybody else in the air, and everybody on the ground. But in the same exactly. way, it is a right, but we don't have a right to fly airplanes, uh, although I think we should. <laughs> but but firearms, you know, the, the, the ability to own and carry firearms is an absolute right. As written, cannot be touched by government. However, that doesn't mean we as a firearms community cannot do a whole lot more. And I think one of the best things, especially with the amount of new people who are buying guns, because they don't want to have them taken away. They want to get them now. And there's this whole panic thing. Obama is the biggest gun salesperson ever. Um, but why not offer some training? You've got the shooting range right there, especially once it's ready. You know, and I think you advertise make that a selling point. Say, you know, purchasing a gun from us includes a familiarization lesson with your firearm. And of course, that will catch on with yeah, other stories, right. but it, you, you'll at least do it first. You're absolutely right on that. We are exploring all those things and how to market them uh-huh. um, to that the public to try I'd and go. draw in that interest. Yeah. So, well, you better. I mean, you're already good, and you can teach me something. Come on. <laughs> I am right now. What do you think? This is this is your tutorial. This is your marketing tutorial. You know. But yeah. I mean, this is why I talk about things like that. But you know. Um, uh, and actually, it would be beneficial if other stores did it. So it's not like, uh, you know, if it were, you know, a marketing secret, I'd tell you off the air. But in terms of if as, a, as an industry as a whole, this will benefit everybody uh, if stores start doing this. And if the manufacturer said, look, we'll give you a rebate if you offer a class. You know, in fact, if Glock said to, to you or whoever you, you know, or Ruger or Smith & Wesson or anybody you deal with, Sig Sauer, you know, let's talk about the big Colt, some of the big firearms manufacturers. So I don't know if Colt's is big anymore. But if you went to them and said, look, we're offering a class. Would you be interested in, in, uh, in a rebate you know, or a, a reduction in cost of our firearm because we're offering something that's going to be beneficial and you'll probably end up sell, selling more guns because of it? You know, maybe, they'll, maybe the manufacturers will help you out with, with this idea. See, I think we're onto something. This could be really big. I think you are, and I think we ought to push it. Yeah. yeah. Let's see what happens. See what happens when you connect with Action Radio? Stuff happens. <laughs> this is what we, we are, the ID factory. You know, Matt Gates gave us that name, by the way. He, he, that's what he called me uh, and Action Radio several years ago. So you guys are the ideas factory. I was like, yeah, you bet. That's what we do here. <laughs> hmm. You've okay. got some ideas, and they are great. Well, thank you. I, I try. Well, it, it's, it's God. It's not my fault. I, I, I couldn't possibly imagine one person would have all the ideas that I have. So I don't take credit for it. I just pass them along. Um, as for the gun store, um, I think when people walk into a gun store, they think that the only guns available are the ones that they see. And if they want something different, oh, my gun's not here. I want, a, I want the, uh, you know, the Schlugelmeyer gun. And, and you don't have a Schlugelmeyer. Yeah, I just, that's a cool name. Maybe I'll use that somewhere else. Uh, but you can get, you can order all kinds of different firearms for people. They don't have to only order from what they see in the stores, right? Correct. 
we have a direct line to all distributors for the manufacturers. Um, mm-hmm. There are very few that we can't get um, mm-hmm. from literally. Some of the manufacturers literally don't go just through a distributor. The customer has to order from them and ship them to an FFL. So either way, our hands will get on them. But 99.9% of the things out there we can order in for them, yes. Yeah. I've always been interested in, in the – I owned a, a SIG P220 at one point, but it was too thin. The, the grip was too narrow because it's a single-stack 45. But they came out with, with a 227 was the 45 caliber, the 10-round, the, the double-stack one. That only sold for a short period I, of time. I couldn't tell you all the series on those personally. <laughs> okay. Well, I, in other words, say that's really just going to be something when, uh, when action radio picks up a little bit. Uh, that's one of the firearms I'm interested in because, you know, I love SIGs. Uh, I don't like, I'm not a big nine or, or 40 fan. I love the 45, um, but I've never, but the, the one that they had their standard, the grip was too narrow. And I own one. I had to sell it because it was flipping around my hand. I got this big. I got lumberjack hands. <laughs> you know, I mean, big axes. I, mean, I can hold a large fire, and that's why I like double stack uh, guns. So, something that might be harder to find is that something. Do you work on that? Do you have people? You know, your people talk yes. to other people. They do lunch, and so if because uh, I know they're out there. I'm sure, and it's going to be used at this point because they're not making it anymore. But uh, you can find even you know more obscure firearms, right? Absolutely. We uh, we have a great distributor that. Even if they don't particularly carry it, mm-hmm. uh, I am blessed to be able to contact him, and he will track it down anywhere in the country for me. Okay. It is, uh, it's really nice to have that contact. Yeah, I'll be talking to you about that because <laughs> I want one. <laughs> you know, it'd be a great carry gun. It'd be a great. Uh... Well, let's talk about carrying. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems is that people get a carry permit and they don't use it. How do we encourage people to, to use their carry permits more? Because that's the biggest deterrent, especially with all the illegal aliens that are flooding our country. We've got 15 million criminals. That's a lot of criminals. And I don't call them immigrants because they're not. Uh, illegal alien is the best term legally, but it's, it's, it's not really as accurate as criminal. These people are daily criminals who every day they're in our country are violating our laws. And they don't care. They're, they're getting carte blanche. They're not being prosecuted. They're getting rewarded. They're getting free health care, free hotels, free food, free benefits, and all on us. And these people are, ca- are causing all kinds of crimes, and there's no repercussions because Brandon's protecting them. So Correct. the need for concealed carry or open carry, I'll talk about open carry in a minute with you, but the need for concealed carry is more than ever. And we've got a lot of people. Well, how much, Do you have any stats on this of how many people have concealed carry permits and how many people actually use them actively? Has I that been measured? Have no, I have no clue on that uh, formula. I really don't. Um, I will tell you that there are a number of people that have their concealed weapons permits that don't carry. They have come to me and said, hey, I've had my permit for six, seven years now. Uh, I've never carried a gun. I've had this gun in my closet for the last four years, never fired it. So there are a number of people out there. I think it's more than we think. I, I would bet you that it, I would say maybe 10 to 20% of people with sealed carry permits actively carry their guns. And most of those are probably off-duty cops. Uh, I think there's, uh, this is another thing that's lacking in, in our gun community is to encourage people to conceal or open carry. So we, we need to get open carry. That's nothing. Let's just say to carry guns. What's the point of having the permit? What's the point of having the right if nobody's exercising it? So have you ever explored ideas for, to encourage people to carry more? You know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how you do that, but uh, we need to do that. We need to have like like the gun carry clubs. Like, you know, maybe people don't want to advertise that they're carrying openly or you know carrying a lot. I've already said I do, so it's not a big deal. 
uh, for me to say that, but uh, but for a lot of people, they may not want everyone to to know. But how do we encourage people to do something that's good for everybody? You know, the non-carriers uh, benefit from anybody who carries a gun. I think that there's a lot of fear out there. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean, dealing with the the general public, uh, people coming in and buying these weapons and or getting their their uh, permits. Um, there needs to be a uniform training on the law. So many people I know have taken the class but refuse to carry a gun because they're worried about getting arrested and going to jail if they use it. There oh, needs to be, as you talked about, as you talked okay. about a little bit ago about these classes where offer something on law, offer something on uh, familiarization, offer something on, you know, cleaning the weapon. The legal side of it, which I tell everybody, I'm not an attorney, but we'll walk through the Florida statutes. We go through the book. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. And then we talk about scenarios, true life scenarios that have already happened. And it's very difficult sometimes for people to understand what they can and can't do. Once they've been told myths by Uncle Joe or, or this officer that pulled him over, you know, my mm-hmm. friend was this. Mm, they didn't have the laws. Um, the gentleman that you had or we had on the show with us once before, uh, mm-hmm. Phil, who is active law enforcement, he consistently calls me to ask information about the, the Florida statutes and how it's read and what the laws are versus the department that he's with versus their SOPs. Um, What's SOP? They have, so people know. Uh, they're standard operating procedures. Um, <laughs> so when they have uh, people that, that come to get weapons, somebody has passed away or somebody has had a weapon taken from them because of some sort of domestic violence issue, whatever the case may be, their sheriff's department actually has longer time limits, whereas the Florida law says, hey, they can have it back. The, their sheriff's department says, nope, you've got at least a year. Well, they've changed that based on what the statutes are because they thought SOP was law for them. So even law enforcement, they only deal with common laws that get broken, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not up to date on everything. Uh, There was a great video years ago of a young uh, officer, new out of the academy, pulls the gentleman over. gentleman gets out of the truck as ordered, and his shirt was above his firearm and he goes to go ahead and and cover it and this new officer pulls his gun you know tells the guy he's going to shoot him in the back um you know lots of expletives uh says nope you broke the law you're going to jail because that weapon's supposed to be concealed you just flashed it to me well that's when give me a break (laughs) that's just that's that's when we had to go into the statute and literally put in the verbiage that yeah. as long as the weapon is not displayed in a rude, careless, threatening, or angry manner, not necessary self-defense, it's fine. The temporary display of a firearm is okay because that situation is going to happen. Um, oh, yeah, you, you can have it reaching for a uh, top-shelf top grocery item right. at a store. You know, I mean, if you have, right. especially in Florida, where we don't, we can't wear like big long jackets and coats all day long because it looks stupid and it gets you hot. That'll attract attention. Yep. You know, we've we've all seen Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop. Hey, a guy's wearing a, you know, a long a long coat. It is ninety degrees out there. Anyway, but the point is that uh, yes. that's that's the biggest fear of concealed carry owners. I think that the first fear is is actually having to use their firearm. 
but uh, yeah. that's that's why you train. But the second biggest fear is having someone see that they have a firearm on them. And this is where you have yeah. to carry a lot. And so one of the things I want to do, I'd love to come in and actually teach a class on, okay, here's how I did it. <laughs> you know, um, you know my, my first episode where I, I was new to carrying, and I told the story before, uh, I called my bank. And I said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm from California, which means I don't know what it's like to be an American. Uh, I said, I, I got my carry permit. Uh, I want to use it. I want to carry it in your store, but uh, your bank, but I've never carried a loaded gun into a bank before. This is a new experience for me. What's what's the policy? What's what do you you know, what do you expect? Whatever. And they're like, hey, don't worry about it. And this is Florida. <laughs> We're Americans here. You can do that. Uh, they said, just, uh, you know, make sure you uh, if something happens, you know, kill the bad guys. And I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, this is like such a relief, right? So, so the second time I go to my bank with my with my loaded firearm under my shirt, uh, I'm passing by guys who are uh, they've got the, the the armored car there, you know, and they're bringing the cash in, right? So I'm, I'm walking like ten feet away from them. I said, "This is interesting. I couldn't do this in California, you know." Here I'm walking by guys. I just wave, "Hey, how you doing?" Like, "Hey, no problem. Uh, life's yep. good." Okay, great. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, so I walk, cause they were, they were between me, and my car. I didn't see them until I parked, you know, between, well, I, well, whatever. I'm not sure how I did this, but anyway, I know I had to walk by them to get to my bank and it's just like, it's no, and all of a sudden it's no big deal. So there's a certain conditioning yeah. that goes with this. You, you really, and I wrote a gun, I wrote, actually I should, I should publish this on Substack now, but I wrote an article several years ago, you know, to carry a gun and I put all the comic things that were happening to me, you know, with my new, uh, uh, things and the, we need to talk about that too. We need to talk about you're going to have some funny incidents. You know, somebody may actually see you carrying a gun. You know, they may see it printed on your shirt. You know, and and people are so worried about that, but they have to understand. This is what you said that this is the most important. That a, a casual or accidental, you know, viewing of a firearm that you have you know attempted to conceal properly is not a crime. And and people have to be made aware that you don't suddenly panic. This is why we need to have normalization of firearms usage. This is why uh, um, this is why open carry is so important. So that people see guns on non-governmental people. See, people don't mind seeing yeah. guns on, on government people. And, and this is the so opposite to what our country stands for. It's non-government people we want to see guns on and go, oh, that's okay. Yeah, cool. No big deal. What do you think? Those scare me the most whenever I see governmental, as you would say, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they don't scare me, but it's, think- it's the normalization. Uh, and people need to know that there is a process you go through as you're getting used to carrying your firearm out in public. It's an adaptation. It's a change. And you're going to go through certain emotions. One of them is like, this is really weird. <laughs> go ahead. Some of the things that I try and teach with the classes, especially with our armed security classes, um, mm-hmm. which that is the same class that law enforcement here in the state have to go through for law enforcement and corrections. Um, So they they get a pretty good dose of it. Um, Try and teach them how not to display the fact that they're carrying a weapon when it is concealed, because there are natural characteristics that people do that the secret service uh, can pick out in the crowd. Uh, And if somebody knows what they're doing out here, just the little telltales, you'll see who's carrying a weapon. You can pick Mm -hmm. them out. A mile away, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I try and tell people how not to get, you know, caught up in that realm. Don't, don't broadcast that you have that weapon. Um, how are people doing that? To, because uh, the, the criminals know they, how to pick they, these people out, and the Secret Service knows how to – everybody knows how to pick them out except, the, except our, you know, our fellow citizens. <laughs> you know, so, so they will, they will walk different. Um, really? Depending on, depending on which side they carry – Typically, uh, uh-huh. say if you're carrying on your right side and you're walking down uh-huh. the street, there's two ways uh-huh. that definitely give you away. One, 
you're carrying on your right side, typically your right hand is not moving very much. It will hang oh. directly over that weapon. It's just a mental thing that you don't even realize you're doing. It will not swing as much as your left, or it will not swing at all. That's one thing. Uh-huh. Males, in general, if they are approaching another male, they will not walk where that firearm is side of that other male. They will give huh. them their – as they pass them, they'll pass them with their left to the other person's left. You know, they, they won't go same side. Um, that's a, huh. a big telltale there where you can watch them. Once you see them pass three, four, five other people, you typically know what it is. Uh, and then one huh. of the, the popular things is they just keep fidgeting with their clothing. They keep adjusting or keep pulling their shirt on that side, whether it's their back, their stomach. Uh, wherever it's hidden, they tend to keep on trying to make sure it's concealed. And they don't even realize they're doing it. So those are the three most popular ways to broadcast outside of wearing excuse me. Outside of wearing tight clothing that doesn't yeah. print. Yeah, printing is a, is something too that I think people worry about. It's printing for those that don't know, it's it's when you can see the outline of the gun under your clothing. And so you want to wear clothing, especially in Florida, you know, get some baggy clothes. Get some, get some big T shirts, you know, long ones. Get the get the extra large, tall, you know, whatever version. Uh, and lose some weight. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Lose some weight. You get more space between your shirt and your and your uh, uh, less belly means more space for the gun. But I th- it's the worry. People worry about the, the, the I mean, I, w- I went through all this. All the things we're talking about are things that I've experienced and, and have gone through. And I decided that, you know, once I decided that this is my right, that if somebody sees my gun by accident, it's not my fault, that once I've checked it in the holster at home and I know it's secure, I'm not going to touch it again, <laughs> you know, except by accident maybe. But, uh, people, you know, if you have a good holster, and this is something we should talk about too, if you have a good holster, stop checking your firearm, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. just, just leave it alone and ignore it. Um, oh, we got Marco checking in. Uh, Marco's listening in the Netherlands. He, he joins us most days. And so, Marco, if you've got a question, because you guys can't carry guns. You know, but if you want to start a movement to do that, uh, this is this is the show to do it because I will write gun legislation uh, for you with you, uh, and we can we can submit that. Uh, you can submit it to the Netherlands Parliament. That's what we do here. So uh, anything you want to ask uh, Jason about, feel free. Uh, <laughs> he says that's not a gun outline. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Are you bragging, Marco? <laughs> anyway, so if you want to talk directly to the Netherlands, I mean, this, this, is the, this is the kind of stuff that makes my shelf so much fun, is the people that check in from everywhere. And so we have the live chat function. But, yeah, uh, this, it, people are more afraid of being discovered of, uh, you know, when they're trying to exercise their right. We need to make it as easy as possible for people to exercise their right without all these hang-ups, yeah. you know. And so yeah. – what do you think? How, got any ideas for how we can do that? Like, don't worry about the printing. If you've done your job, um, then uh, well, what are ways that people can conceal better? Darker clothes, striped clothes for outlines, um, just be more comfortable, get a better holster. What All of the above, what, what do you think? All of the above. Um, I can tell okay. you that just carrying in your pocket is not necessarily a good thing. I mean, I I pulled a firearm out to demonstrate something uh, not too long ago that had been in my pocket. Um, It would not function because of lint. The gun failed. It would not fire. It would not cycle because of lint. And it was purposely done that way um, as far as carrying it for a while so I could demonstrate it for a class that was coming up because it was a familiarization class. The customer came in and told me, oh, I carry right here all the time in my pocket. Uh, when he realized that, wait a minute, that little piece of lint 
can make my mm-hmm. weapon malfunction. Hang on, let me get a holster. And, of course, uh, we took him right over the shelf, and here you go. Here's what you may want. And mm-hmm. happy as a lark, so to speak. Uh, well, don't people check we their guns? Take... Is this, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking. Yeah. Well, we want to take everything that we're doing and use it to train. That is literally why our name is Training and Defense. Um, We want to use every aspect that we have to train safety, to think about awareness, situational awareness. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Everything that we're doing, uh, be it on the paintball field, airsoft, uh, anything to do with firearms, we will teach the same firearm safety and not be lax about it. you know, we've got one particular person that loves to come. He's learned how to draw from that holster. He carries a 1911-style weapon, mm-hmm. um, and he did not know how to properly carry that weapon without shooting himself, so to speak. He wanted to <laughs> uh, be able to carry that weapon but not have the hammer cocked because that's the way that 1911 works, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that, I, I won't carry... I won't carry a 1911 for that exact reason because it's most effective cocked and locked, but that would be great if I was in combat and was likely to use it every day. Sure. I wouldn't have a problem doing it, but the, but considering how rare it is that you might actually probably most people never are going to have to use a firearm. Um, but, it, but Correct. like lightning striking, it does happen. Uh, and so, you know, right. as a flight instructor, I know that emergencies happen because I had to handle about three of them uh, in the course of sure. uh, two, 2000 hours of instruction. Now that's not a lot. Three, you know, is that we're talking about maybe, you know, half an hour total, you know, of my, yeah. of my 2000 hours was devoted to emergencies, but I had to do the right thing during that 10 minutes each time. Yep. Uh, and so, and the same thing with firearms, you know, you have to be ready. That's why you train. Um, but, but, and the Lynn thing is hysterical, but it's really true. Now, I don't know if anybody else does this, but before I carry a gun for the day or whatever, you know, I open it up, take out the magazine, check the action. I have a toothbrush there for just that purpose. Take out the Lynn, run a, run a yep. soft, you know, brush down the barrel. Uh, now you're ready to go. You're not ready to go if you haven't checked your firearm. Then you put the mag- you know, magazine, go to your chamber, however you do it, put your firearm in your secure holster. Now you're all set to go, and now you don't have to touch it because you've checked it. You know it's ready. You're ready. Go. Go enjoy your day. Correct. You, you yeah. should, in my opinion, you should definitely be doing that. Um, mm-hmm. I know that I do it, uh, and it's because I've seen the weapon failures. Um, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of things that I've learned through the years, mm-hmm. uh, some of the stuff was like, wait a minute, that actually does happen. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you know, I had a revolver it, jam on, uh, on one grain of powder. You know, I'll tell you about that. Sorry. I had a revolver yeah. jammed on one grain of powder. And you think it can't, you think revolvers are perfect? No, they're not. I mean, all guns have, are mechanical, so they all can malfunction. Revolvers are generally, yeah. uh, in terms of, they don't, they don't feed, so you don't have that problem. But I, like I said, one grain of powder jammed a revolver. So yeah. it can happen. I, I've had any, the uh, worst thing. Yeah. The go worst ahead. thing I've had happen with a revolver is it jumped timing, and I had part of the round go down the barrel and part of it go out the side of the barrel. Ooh. That was interesting. <laughs> uh, That's one way to put it. Yeah. 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 Um, that we we no longer fired that weapon. It went to the gunsmith and. <laughs> oh yeah, that's another thing too. Yeah, and if, if something goes wrong with your gun, don't don't fire another one to clear it. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Magazines. I want to talk, I want to talk about magazines for a bit too, because people I, th- I think have a tendency, okay. if they're leaving their gun in the closet for for years, they're probably leaving the same rounds in the magazine for years too. I cycle mine uh, once a month. You know, and I have several magazines and I I just, you know, take the rounds out of one magazine, put them in the next magazine and and keep the cycle going. So the spring has a chance to, uh, you know, reduce its tension. 
correct because people don't realize uh, either they have forgotten or they were never told that springs have a memory. But when they're compressed, they want to stay compressed. You have right. to let them relax. And it's recommended about every 30 days to swap your rounds just like uh, just like you're talking. Load a magazine, yep. let the other one sit. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Got a call here. I'm just, uh, just checking phone numbers here. <laughs> oh, I thought he was off today. Well, hang on a second. Okay, so this is uh, – uh, let, me, let me just double check here. Hey, Derek, you told me you were off today. Is that did you, yeah, did someone have to... I'm, uh, uh, it's next weekend. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. All right. Um, let me, we'll get Jason on the line right now with Stand Your Ground. So he's also in the same area. That's why I was surprised to, to see you pop up here. So that's why I didn't, you know, did I mark my calendar wrong? Yeah, I actually marked you off today because it's Memorial Day yeah, weekend. It, it's, it's the second. It's the second. Oh, well, in that case, I'll put you off there. So, um, Jason, yeah. so now, now, now that I'm completely embarrassed, uh, Jason, can you call me back at, uh, at the top of the hour? Or do you want to hang up for our I economic chat? Y'all go ahead and do what you got to do. I'm going to get moving around here, and I will try and give you a shout back shortly. Yeah, we haven't even talked about paintball. We haven't talked about anything. Do you yes, have a question sir. for Derek well, real quick? You okay. uh, I'm sorry? Do you have a question for Derek? Because uh, he's our, our financial guru. Or you want to listen at this in? time? Yeah. I'll, I will give I'll you tell you what, back at the top of the hour, my friend. Y'all enjoy. Okay. All right. So uh, what I can do is actually actually mute your line. You can just listen uh, for this half hour, uh, and then uh, then I can just make your line live again if you want to do that, unless you need your phone. It's up to you. I do need my phone here. Okay. Call us back. I will talk to you in a bit, Greg. Thank you so okay. much. Y'all enjoy. Thanks. Hey, thanks for being flexible. I really appreciate it. Now that I've completely embarrassed myself and put the wrong, you know, the wrong date on. So, uh, all right, let's get uh, let's get Derek theme and let's get going. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices: stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets: oil, gold, manufacturing, trade energy, even government? To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park, our Action Radio financial reporter, joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, um, we're actually going to be here Monday morning, too, and I have made an announcement in our Action Radio group chat. Uh, it's a tradition. You probably you might remember this, um, that I usually read the poetry of soldiers written in combat. So if that's something you want to participate in, bring poetry, or just, just join the show uh, at any time during our 7 to 10 uh, hours, feel free. Unless you're busy with a bunch of other stuff, which you might be. When is it? What? Monday, Memorial Day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I won't be on. <laughs> okay. Well, what's happening? Yeah. What's, how, how are people um, doing their remembrances? What are they doing for, uh, for Memorial Day? Maybe a good um, person. You know, I mean, I actually got, got, a, got a, a friend I'll spend some time with on Sunday. And, uh, okay. you know, it's just uh, a Monday. I may or may not be in the condition to, uh, <laughs> to, to be on there. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, that's fine. Hey, listen, uh, you know, that, that makes sense to me. Well, let's talk money. Let's talk about what's going on in the economy. I mean, I'm going to be dedicating most of the rest of the show after Jason calls back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, not completely yeah. watch that. Um, about the, our debt spiral. And so that's something I want to get yeah. into is, is the, 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 the lies, this incredible lie about it. But let's get the report first, and then let's see what's going sure. on uh, in the economic news, and then we'll get into the debt ceiling. 
All right. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with the Action Radio Financial Report. Markets closed mixed on Thursday with the NASDAQ up over 1.5%. Markets closed higher on Thursday as the Dow Jones was modestly lower while the technology-heavy NASDAQ was sharply higher. The gains in the NASDAQ were driven by the rally in NVIDIA shares, which forecast second quarter revenue to be over 50% above expectations, driven in part by strengthening in demand in AI, artificial intelligence. Meanwhile, uh, outside of technology sectors, markets remained focused on the ongoing U.S. debt ceiling negotiations, which seemed to be at an impasse. Although both parties continue to reiterate that the default, default is not on the table. Cyclical sectors were mostly lower, with energy being the biggest laggard of the day. This comes in as WTI crude prices move lower by 3% to around $72, or, or down about 10% for the year. And now, page, page two. two. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, U.S. equities closed higher today. Dow Jones down 35 points or 0.11 to 32,765. NASDAQ up 214 points or 1.71% to 12,698. The NASDAQ closed up 36 points or 0.88 to 41.51. In the bond year, the 10-year Treasury yield is trading at 3.82, higher by 0.11. Uh, the price of crude oil again down two dollars and thirty eight cents or three point two percent to seventy one ninety six and the spot price of gold was down twenty four dollars and twenty cents or one point one point two three percent to nineteen uh nineteen forty and forty cents nineteen hundred and forty and forty cents uh this is Derek Park of the action radio financial report you can get me at eight five zero nine nine five zero zero eight two yeah, and we got the international code. Uh, if you want to reach him from international places, just get us on the Skype line, and I will uh, I will get you connected when he calls in. So uh, anybody wants to get international financial stuff, I think we could build a, a whole report on that actually uh, occasionally. You know, and so it'd be interesting yeah, to, to branch out. Uh huh. Your 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 guy wanted to you know up, update on Bitcoin. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure people see oh, Marco, it, but over yeah. the past five days. Yeah, over the past five days, Bitcoin has seen some volatility, and I think that's based on the debt ceiling negotiations as well. Um, you know, it saw its high roughly six months ago, a little over over thirty thousand per per coin. Um, now sitting at roughly twenty six four. Um, you know, even though they say that the uh, the Bitcoin is supposed to operate independent of our monetary system, it seems to be very linked to it. Um, you know, and it seems to be very linked to the markets as well. So Bitcoin, well, obviously, yeah, Bitcoin seemed to be doing a lot well when the tech-heavy sectors were doing very well. And when the tech-heavy sectors took a hit, Bitcoin seemed to go backwards. So, um, you know, there seems to be a connection there. Yeah, you said something in the beginning, and I, I, I want to go over it again because I wasn't quite sure. But before you talked about the demand for AI and it's the artificial intelligence, which to me is a contradiction in terms, but uh, be that as it may, it's with us. What were you saying that the tech stocks were up a little bit this week? What was the initial part of the report? Please. Yeah, the initial part of the report was based on NVIDIA. NVIDIA is a, a semiconductor producer. They also make video cards for the video games. The uh, the, the GeForce is the uh, most sought-after video card because it's one of the fastest and one of the best processing. Um, huh. You know, people argue that. The tech people argue that. I'm just using it as an analogy that they're a very good company. Um, 
anywho, they, uh, their AI technology uh, or uh, adaptive technology that they use in, in their semiconductors um, actually, like, blew out sales expectations by more than 50%. <clears throat> so that basically means the company is making mass amounts of money, and, you know, that means their stock price goes through the roof. So yesterday it went up, like, 25%. Wow. So we haven't yeah, really if, talked about this. If you bought, go ahead. If, Go ahead. If you bought NVIDIA six months ago, like four mm-hmm. months ago, you're up 50% mm-hmm. already. Wow. So we yeah. haven't really talked a lot about this, but I think it's worth doing, that the video game market is almost like its own economy. It is so big, and I, I'm not really a part of it. I think it's a generational thing. I didn't grow up with them. Uh, you know, to me, it's you know, I'm, I'm you know, I remember pinballs in the arcade, okay, uh, and I remember the first you know Atari Pong, you know, and and Pac-Man and some of those things, but I've never really gotten into them. But there's generations, especially uh, men, you know, that I would say probably yeah. like 40 and younger that are devoted. They've got the equipment, they've got the headset. This is like a major league sport to them. They they play video games like uh, we used to play football, or at least watch football. Uh, but it's participatory. I mean, it's I, active. I, I play them. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me what you play. Let's, yeah. let's let's get into this. This is interesting. What what are your favorite? Yeah. Games? I mean, I, I more more shooting style games. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe well, of it's, course, it's fun. Me, but yeah, yeah no, I play, I, uh, play I like those. them too. I play uh, I play golf games. Um, I play Minecraft sometimes. I play. Um, um, oh man, what is a. Uh, um, you know, action adventure games. Um, you know, huh. I mean, I, I, I could tell you the titles, but I don't know that you'd know the names of them. Um, no, I wouldn't. You know, <laughs> so. you can tell me what they do. Yeah. And, and if there's a copyright or advertising, let's get them to advertise on the show. Then you can tell me their titles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, yeah. as a little okay. kid, I, I had I had video games, but I was an outside kid. If my parents told me I couldn't go outside, I mean, it was the end of my world. Right. Um you know, so so uh, you, you know, even though we had access to video games, I think we had one in the house that we all shared. Um, uh-huh. You know, it was just, and we'd play it. You know, I mean, it just, it, uh, you know, we we grew up in that era uh, where huh. they were where they were booming. You know, I mean, so evening entertainment. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of people they just kind of sit around and watch TV. I watch TV. I play video games. You know, what I mean, so well, it makes know, sense. Just, you're doing, and this is why I think action radio is going to be so popular uh, with, with younger folks because we are participation. You know, we have actual bills, and you can send those actual bills to Congress. You know, we can affect real change right. here. You know, in fact, that's what I'm hoping to do if we can connect with the Trump campaign. Or actually, we may even connect with uh, the Robert Francis Kennedy campaign in terms of vaccine product liability legislation. So I'm after both campaigns. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen yet, but it's participatory. And I knew this. I saw this years ago, 2014, when I first started this. I always saw the trends that, that younger generations want to participate. Talk radio was dying. It's already obsolete. Right. You know, action radio right. is the future of radio, of, of, of non-music radio. The future is participatory action radio where people can actually submit bills in. In the same way that video games, we used to watch action movies. You don't see as many action movies. We don't have Chuck Norris and, you know, Sylvester Stallone. I think I'm going to take the village now. You know, you don't see that as much. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and who is that guy? The wrestler, Cena. You know, I've forgotten his name, uh, his first name. But, you know, all these big guys that used to do stuff. Uh, you don't see it as much. Schwarzenegger, yeah, I'll be back. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. All right, right. right. Uh, don't be back in the governorship, okay? Please just leave politics alone. Anyway, but video games, because you can participate. It's active. And shooting things is fun, especially when people really don't get hurt. You know, it's, it's like it's play. You know, it's like we used to play guns as a kid. I had cap guns and all kinds of guns. But, of course, real guns were forbidden because my family was socialist. Um, but Marco says these days games are bigger than movie productions. 
Is there a is there uh, some a, of them are? I mean, so the the games me. are um, the games are like uh, they're like movies, um, you know, and they actually have actors in them, like real actors. I mean, really, I, I had a game that had um, um, you know Ellen Page before her transition. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's called Beyond Two Souls. There's a game that has Norman Reedus in it. There's a game that has I don't know the guy's name, but he always he plays it. He's kind of a redheaded guy. He plays military people. He was in Top Gun. He was in, um, uh, uh, oh my God, uh, X Men movies. I mean, um, you know, it's it's uh, you know they've they've got real actors that are in them. Interesting. The only redheaded guy I know is the one that was in uh, uh, that old TV show New York uh, YPD Blue, uh, and he he went on to do uh, Miami CSI. That guy. <laughs> He's the only redheaded guy in yeah. all the movies. Um, but I've yeah. his name. David, he's, David he's, uh, uh, Caruso. Yeah, was his name. Yeah. No, oh, it's not him. Yeah. Well, he's the yeah. only redheaded guy in the movies. But this is fascinating that these are actually productions. Now, do are is a movie company, is a video company big enough for, say, the S&P 500? Are they registered on that? I mean, how big are these companies? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's that. Okay. Electronic Arts. There's Take-Two. There's Activision. Activision was almost acquired by Microsoft, and that deal was, was shiboshed by the European Union because it's an international company. Um, huh. And, um, um, uh, oh, man, what was it? Uh, Take-Two, Activision, Blizzard, um, Electronic Arts. Oh, man. I mean, there's more, but those are the ones, the top ones that I know that are public traded. Those are the big titles. There might be one more that I'm missing. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, um, I mean, I've got people that own stock in them. Wow. Yeah. We should do more yeah. video game report. I think, I think this is fascinating because it is such a big uh, part of entertainment and well, let's, how does it compare with, uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, sports viewership, for example, um, like has, are people watching like the younger guys, are they watching fewer NFL games and playing more video games? Has the audience moved away from professional sports, which is passive viewing, unless you're screaming and yelling, uh, but it's still passive as opposed to actively participating in a video game. Has that been tracked at all? Um, I, it might have. I mean, I, it's not something I would know off the top of my head. The, guy, the guy's name I was talking about is Glenn Morshower. Yeah, I don't know that name. Yeah, he, Marco. He, Marco doesn't uh, like David Caruso, though. It's kind of funny. He's Marco. Marco yeah. says that Caruso is one of the worst actors ever. I didn't think it was that bad, but you yeah. Know, anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway, but uh, that's interesting. My favorite would be uh, Gina Carano, who used to do mixed martial arts and then went into the movies. And oh, she was in really yeah. terrible cowboy film, but she's so totally hot. I don't care. She was <laughs> so also she was also a character in um, um, Deadpool two. Uh, she was uh, one of the characters. Or yeah. Deadpool she's might have been Deadpool 1, I remember. Yeah, she's, she's on my, on my fantasy dinner list of, of fabulous women I want to have dinner with at some point in life. Yeah. So she's on the list. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Hey, listen, I'm yeah, in Action I, Radio. I remember when, I know she, I remember when she was in the um, – I remember when she was in the um, UFC when she was fighting. I mean, she fought – I think she won like her first three fights. Oh, yeah. She's a badass. Yeah. That's why I want to meet her. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be fabulous. You know, that and uh, my other person uh, on, on the dinner list that uh, Marco already knows about it. Eva van Dinglebroek, who is the most gorgeous woman on the planet today. She's a reporter from, uh, from the Netherlands. Also has, I think, a degree in legal philosophy. Uh, brilliant person. Anyway, so that, enough of that. Let's get back to the debt, the debt spiral. This is, it, it seems to be dominating everything economic, and there's no reason for it because it's all based on a lie. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the, the debt ceiling, and then let's talk about the lie. So, so what's from the report? The fact that everybody's hanging on this, that they're worried about the negotiations. What's... Uh, what, what's the expression? What's the word on the street? In other words, Wall Street. What, what are you hearing? 
Yeah, so, so I mean, you know, the, I can't say that the markets aren't a little shaky because of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's obviously the markets are concerned that there is going to be a default. I mean, if you could trust the government, they're they're wrong many of the times. I mean, you and I both know they said inflation was transitory. That was wrong. You know, I mean, so what we called them out uh, too. <laughs> we told that was right. told everybody it was a lie. Yeah. So they 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 they're saying that there's not going to be a default now. I tend to believe that they don't want a default right now, and and I'll tell you why. Um, our credit rating is already a double A. Um, we don't want to fall into the pool of being a single A, um, you know. And the government really knows that, you know. what I mean, so a default puts your puts your credit rating at risk. Um, so and, how, uh, when I thought we were only double A temporarily. So 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 the top is triple A. No, triple A is, yeah, is top, the top credit. Rating. There's, and we've been there's we've, only actually there's okay. only five five countries in the world that are triple A. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there and there's only if if you want to go double A. There's only 12 countries in the world that are double A or better. Hmm. Do you know, do you happen yeah. to know the five countries that are triple A, or, or some of them, just to give us an idea? Um, what, what I know triple uh, A is is um, um, oh my god. Um, hold on a second. Um, Iceland, n- New Zealand, Australia. Uh, I think Chile is in there or Chile. Okay. Um, and, Chile. Um, oh, we'll get Josie. Oh, you know, I've got the I've got the list. I've got the list like oh, that's okay. uh, as, as a post-it um, on so, my on my computer screen. And the reason the reason I have it there is because people they often talk about you know what happens and you know our fiat currency and you know how our bonds are worthless and this that and the other thing. And I'm like, here, let me let me show you that it's far from the truth. I mean, the news is really good at poisoning people's minds. Um, you know, so, um, you know, that's why I say, I mean, you know, the, the government's also real good at getting down to the wire. So here we are five days out from a potential default. Um, mm-hmm. And I've also read that, um, you know, the, the, the government has been selling some of their bonds that they've been holding. So they do have a reserve, you know, mm-hmm. so there, there is there is more cushion than the news is reporting. Time yeah, wise, a, I guess is a better and, way to put it. Yeah, and there's a few things. I haven't uh, really read the article. I'm going to get to it uh, later in the show. But there's a few things they can do. Uh, and the first one is, of course, you know, cut the COVID spending that hasn't been spent and return that to the Treasury. That's the first thing. There's, and there's like a Republican deal on, on a few things. But yeah. this is such. I read your article, the one you posted on Facebook. I, I oh, read okay, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I, I try to post the yeah. articles I use on the show ahead of time so people can evaluate mm-hmm. them. Did you see anything in there that, uh, that struck you as, as uh, possible good or, I don't know, reaction? Any of those those four things? No, no. Actually, I, I as I read it, my comment to you was, is, uh, I, I don't see anything in there that's too bad. I think, you know, the the, the Republicans are really just kind of say saying, hey, Democrats, our our national debt's getting out of control. We need to wind the stuff back, you mm-hmm. know. And, and you know, they they found areas that they needed to do it. And the Democrats' problem are is, you know, in my personal opinion, this is an opinion. This has nothing to do with fact. Um, right. I think that um, they they know their days are numbered, so they're trying to get in whatever spending they can. You know, oh. I mean, I think that they they know they know that next year it's it's uh, it's going to be uh, uh, an uphill battle for them. So they're trying to they're year? trying to push. Absolutely. Uh, You know, so I I don't know that to be certain. I'm just I'm making an assumption. And, you know, I mean, if you go back, if you go back to when Trump was in office, you know, Trump was trying to get a one point five trillion dollar spending bill passed and the Democrats fought it tooth and nail. Mm -hmm. You know, they were like, no, 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 we're not letting you push it. You know, I mean, and actually his bill 
was for the betterment of the country. Like it actually had more betterment of the country than any than the three point five trillion dollar bill they came up with did. You know what I mean? So so and, and nobody ever goes looks at that. They just take what the news says is 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 whole. You know, rather right. than cracking open the bill. Now I mean nobody's gonna read a seven hundred page document. You know, what I mean normally I go find the Cliff Notes version of it that says, here's the top twenty things inside of there that are that are most important. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I look at where the money's going and I say, Okay, you know, as an American, do I feel that this is a good decision? You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, I would say, what was it in the, in the $3.5 trillion spending bill, something like, um, what a third of it was going to infrastructure, you know, the other two thirds <laughs> were, were special projects and special interests. You oh yeah. I mean? so, uh, you know, election it, campaign, you know, uh, boosting things for Democrats. Yeah. Uh, and this is the thing too, that the Republicans, they, they always give up. They always concede the Democrats and the Republicans, the Democrats never concede the Republicans. So, so the fact that Trump didn't get his bill in, but even so I probably would have objected to that bill too, because there's so many things that can be done with incentives as opposed to spending. I don't want the government spending money on projects or, or, you know, helping industries or subsidizing this. I mean, I don't get rid of all that stuff. You know, do a huge thing right. to get rid of corporate welfare. Um, but it, but here's but they're 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 tinkering, uh, and this has always been the problem for me. They're tinkering and they're lying. So the tinkering is when they talk about cuts. You know, well, let's bring it back to 2022. No, let's bring it back to 1978. <laughs> you know, let's 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 do some real effort here. So I wrote something on Facebook this morning, and uh, this is this is the cycle. I put government economics raise the debt ceiling, borrow and spend above the debt ceiling. Claim we need to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations. Raise the debt ceiling so it becomes cyclical. And yeah. that's how they yeah. do it. That's how they do it. <clears throat> well, I it's think the same argument every time, and it's a lie. Yeah. I think their answer is, um, you know, in order mm-hmm. to to appease and make sure they band-aid it, I think the debt ceiling is going to get raised. Um, I think, you know, it's going to get raised a small amount. So they can kind of band-aid this thing and, and mm-hmm. table it till till they have more power, and I think that's exactly what's trying to happen. Yeah, I actually have a bill uh, that I'm going to try and send to uh, Matt Gates again, and uh, and hopefully get to the Trump campaign that calls for a 30-day comment period for any bill over 100 million dollars, which is nothing in terms of what spending is. Mm-hmm. But I want to get I want these big bills out there, you know, in the open. So once they've got, once they're ready for final, or once they've done final passage or the, they're ready for the final passage vote, they've been through the conference, they've been through all the changes. Now it goes for a 30 day comment period. So now we can take a look at it. Of course they can reconsider, you know, and start, you know, knocking some stuff out, but at least with 30 days before they vote on it, people have a chance to look at it, including the members of Congress. So they can actually see what right. it is because nobody has time to read a 700 page bill. I don't even think they're reading the summaries like you said. So you're at least reading the summaries as I am. Um, but, um, I don't have time for a 700-page bill. So the lobbyists do because that's all they do. So what you, you see this bill that suddenly pops up. It's probably been worked on for three years by special interest lobbyists. You know, every little wish list thing, you know, their, their Santa Claus list. And that's the problem right, is that the right. lobbyists are writing the bills. But at least with a 30-day comment period, we'd have a chance to take a look. You know, we don't want this. We don't want that. Oh, maybe we should table it. Maybe we'll come back. So I see that as a way to, uh, to affecting it. The biggest thing we need, and I, mean, I absolutely believe this now more than ever, is a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. We need to fix this now. Um, I've got a right. theory I want to run. Yeah, a theory, and we've talked about that before, but I've got a theory I want to run by you. Uh, I think we're, we're entering with Trump, and this is pure speculation. You know, you're free to, to go, oh, that's nice, Greg. Um, but in every hundred years, we get uh, a few people that can change history. 
Uh, in the 1700s, we obviously had our founding fathers, you know, Washington, Jefferson, Adams, Franklin, Madison. And I'm not crazy about Hamilton. But anyway, we had a, an unusual group of people that all came together. Uh, in the 1800s, we had Abraham Lincoln as the one that stands out as, as the one person in the 1800s. There's probably more, but anyway. 1900s, Calvin Coolidge. Cut the budget in half, mm-hmm. cut the national debt in half. Followed by my other favorites, John Kennedy and eventually Ronald Reagan. I'm not a big Ronald Reagan fan, but Coolidge and Kennedy stand out to me. In the 2000s, it's Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a historic figure providing a historic opportunity because he's the only person that is a billionaire that loves this country and isn't a megalomaniac. And so that combination doesn't come along more than once every hundred years or so, I think, because I haven't seen it more than that, just looking back at history. So now is the time. So now is the time, I believe, for Action Radio and for all of us to to actually introduce some of these ideas that most people are going to say is crazy. Now, nobody with a donor can introduce this. But a constitutional amendment, just to delete one line, it's like, it's like eight words, you know, where it says Congress shall have the power to borrow money uh, or car- Congress can borrow money on the, on the credit of the United States. Just delete those words. You just take away the power of Congress to borrow money. You will never have a debt ceiling issue again because there won't be a debt ceiling. They can't borrow money. It doesn't matter. It's going to get paid down. Yeah. We're yeah. going to have deflation. The currency will increase in value, especially if they hold the currency stable. Um, which that's the whole point of deflation, or it actually reduce the amount of currency so that the, uh, the currency is worth more. So that transfers wealth from the Fed and the, and the banks and the government back to the people. So instead of their 2% goal of transferring our wealth to them, I want like a 5% deflation transferring their wealth back to us through the currency. Yeah. We don't have to borrow as much. We don't have to spend as much. That savings will increase. Retirements will increase. Social Security, you know, if people are making $1,500 a month on Social Security, that 1500 is going to buy a hell of a lot more in a deflated currency than it would in an inflated currency. So there's no, right. there's no loss. The only people who could lose is the government, uh, the rich corporation folks, and the banks. And they're the ones who are going to oppose it. But what American citizen is going to oppose increasing the value of our money and eliminating debt ceiling problems? forever. In fact, just having Congress just spend the money they take in, and that's it. Right. Yeah. Well, where's well, the I mean, that, that's, it's easier, that's easier said than done. Well, I'm not... Remember, this is, this is action radio. I don't care about how hard it is. I don't care about the odds against me. I don't care that, it's, that uh, I'm going to get all kinds of objections. I don't care about that. I'll meet those objections. But, what I want, but at least let's get it out there. See, nobody ever looks at the bright yeah. side. And, look, and this isn't a criticism of you, but nobody ever says, wouldn't it be great if the American people got behind this and millions of Americans and the pollsters found that, yeah, we want to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. It isn't even on the table yet. But that would, this, is, this is the big game changer. This is the kind of thing I want to push during our historic period of opportunity. This yeah. is a window of opportunity. What do you think? No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it is. But, you know, I mean, next year is going to be the year of hollow promises. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the the uh, you, you know, the, every politician's going to come out and talk about what they're going to do, what they're not going to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just, uh, uh, you know, America is going to go blind again, you know, where they're like, oh, OK, you know, I mean, I just I believe everything they say. And, and you know, I mean, it's just uh, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> OK, well, let me see yeah. if I can connect with the Trump campaign. I know people, you know, uh, I wrote a comment on Peter Navarro's uh, Substack. It got like 16 likes. Out of, you know, it's like the most popular comment on this thing. Mentioning our bills, vaccine product liability, uh, big tech censorship ending, um, the constitutional amendment, uh, this one to eliminate Congress borrowing money, uh, the disarmament, the federal disarmament bill, 
um, one of my government reform bills, the one I talked about, the 30-day comment, and the uh, another bill that I think would be fabulous, too, for the campaign is no withholding during the time people are in the standard deduction amount. Because that's usually that's yep. the main deduction for people is their standard deduction amount. So people, they don't get taxed on that, but they still have to pay it up front. So they pay it up front, and then they get the refund a year later. Well, that's stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do I get a calculation on, on what, how that would benefit the economy? So in other words, instead of people paying their standard, what's it, like 12, 13, 14,000? What's going to be this year? 14,000 maybe? I don't know. What's the standard I think deduction? 12,400 per person, if I remember correctly. Okay, let's just say so. Let's so say twelve thousand four hundred. So most people earn what thirty six thousand a year. Is that like the average salary these days? Uh, but I, I think a BDD income, yeah. That's okay. You're oh, a long, a long week. All right. So so for, yeah. so twelve thousand represents about one third of what what a typical salary earner would earn in the course of a year. So if they had no yeah. tax on that twelve thousand, and so in other words, there was no income federal income tax withholding until they'd earned money that actually was going to be taxed, in other words, a third end of the year, they would be, what, so four months, so it'd be January, February, March, it'd be April, it'd actually be after tax day, before they'd actually start paying taxes. They'd have all that money right. to, instead of waiting for it for next year, they'd have it this year, and they could spend it, invest it, do what they wanted. Absolutely. That could be yeah. huge I mean, for the economy. And it would cost, I think you it, know, ma- it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I mean, for people... You know, I mean, that, that uh, you know, don't file taxes or make under a certain amount. I don't even think they should have to file taxes. Well, you wouldn't under this plan. That's that's and I, I remember thinking that sometime before, but that's an actually that's a really good point. Well, if you get a chance to check the bill out and see if I should add something like that, or maybe that's just a natural byproduct product, because uh, mm-hmm. what, what are the two things people file? They file their mortgage interest deduction and they file the standard deduction. Right. Or do you, yeah, or but do you get both of those? It's so high now. It doesn't. No, no. Yeah, I mean, you can't itemize unless you own a business. There's no way. All right, so all right, so the mortgage interest deduction really doesn't apply anymore, does it? I don't have a mortgage, so I don't know. Yeah, that it doesn't, part doesn't of help you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, it so, used to so be, people, but, you know, that actually, to, to be quite honest, um, with Trump's tax cuts, that went away uh, because the standard deduction went high. So under Trump's Trump's tax cuts, what they really did was they expanded the brackets because the, the tax code's like an upside down wedding cake, right? Um, right. You know, the best way, you know, you know, your first layer is, you know, zero, it used to be like zero to $10,000, you pay like no tax, you know, right. 10000 to 20000 you pay like, you know, two or 5%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so on and so forth. Well, there was about 15 layers, you know, that were in there before. And what the, uh, you know, under the Trump, Trump tax code change, it went to about four layers. Right. So it basically everybody it, it kind of said if you made less than fifty thousand dollars a year, you benefited the most, you know, and then if you made between 50 and I think it was like 80,000, you benefited a little bit. And then mm-hmm. everybody above that kind of got screwed because they got pulled into bigger tax brackets. So all these people that were like, oh, he was helping out his corporate buddies. No, actually, <laughs> you know, anybody that was way above the median in the United States are the ones that took it on the chin. Also, yeah. what they did was they said, okay, um, all, all um, business owners, uh, unless you're a 100% business owner, um, you know, if you're like a hybrid business owner where you share expenses, you can no longer claim those against the business. Either you own it or you don't. You know, so um, huh. that, was a big, that was a big thing. And then, um, oh, man, what was the one I was leading to? Oh, my goodness. Ah, man, that's okay. You're having a senior moment. I understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, 
Well, you were you were, you were saying something, and I was alluding to why it was a why it was an issue. Oh oh oh, they raised the standard deduction from I think it was like uh, like like ten thousand, you know, where where you could itemize and get over it, you know, so right. it would help you to like twelve thousand to where it was almost impossible to capture it. Well, they did the exemption. They combined the exemption and the deduction. It used to be six thousand exemption per person, uh, six thousand ex- right. uh, deduction per person, right? So they just combined them. So right. now there is no personal right. exemption, but you get 12000 Okay. So the point would be that most people taking their standard deduction, that's why they're filing their tax to get that, that money back that was taken you know, upwards of the standard deduction. But if you, if you mm-hmm. eliminate that and say, here's your, the deduction is we're not going to take your money until you've earned your standard deduction, then most people wouldn't even have to file a tax return unless they were claiming some other thing or they made income outside of just, just regular income. If they had a business, they had, you know, schedule C or they had a sole proprietorship or a partnership or whatever else, or, you know, or, or their business taxes would be a separate thing, but individuals making a salary, mm-hmm. you know, they, they probably wouldn't have to file because the only money they're going to get back is from the standard deduction. And if that money's not taken, right. why would they have to, why would they have to file? I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's, a, that's a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think, uh, you know, so actually I saw a mention of, um, you know, the, there's a there's a proposal to go to something like that. Um, there's a proposal oh. to say, you know, that um, you know, if you're if you're only making W two income, you don't have any other filing things. You know, the IRS is going to basically send you a message that says you don't have to file this year. You know, what I mean, so um, you know, it, it's it's going to be a kick to all of these people, you know, that run these tax programs because they're going to get you know about a third less business. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's 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 called progress. <laughs> you know, go find another way to make money. Um, but right. that's that's actually a good idea. And uh, but I don't know if I want the IRS doing it. I think it should be more automatic than that because I don't trust them. It's like the IRS says we'll file your taxes for you. <laughs> like hell, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Right. You know, I'd rather right. I'd rather do my own. Thank you. You know, because I don't mind claiming mm-hmm. deductions. Um, right. And who's to say that they're gonna you know they're gonna err on the side of more money for them. You mm-hmm. know, and so that's that's an entirely different. Uh, Different thing. Uh, okay, oh, he's got another. Marco's got another comment. Uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll get to that later, Marco. Um, some of this stuff I think is fascinating with with what can happen. But now, so now's a window of opportunity uh, with you know with Trump coming back, which I believe he will. Uh, that four years is the, is the time that we're going to make the most change. I believe certainly in my lifetime because I'm 63 now, uh, and so I think that now is the time. You know, and I'm still young and feisty enough to be able to do this. But if I can connect with that campaign and start proposing some of these things, these are going to be huge, uh, especially uh, yeah. between the the ending withholding. Of course, the goal is to get rid of all withholding tax. Yeah. That's the goal. Well, start emailing. Start emailing Ron DeSantis. Well, you know what? <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to make contacts with his office. I'm not a big Ron DeSantis fan. Um, quite honestly, mm-hmm. uh, I just well, let's, well, that's a big thing in the market too. See, the problem with Ron DeSantis, and we can talk politics for a minute. He's got all the big establishment donors behind him, which means he's beholden to his donors. You know, he's beholden to the Bush family already, which is the kiss of death as far as I'm concerned, um, and uh, all these other establishment cronies. So, see, the, the beauty of Trump is he's the only person. He has this rare combination of both being a billionaire and loving this country and and wanting the best for this country. Most billionaires yeah. want the best for themselves, and they're megalomaniacs. Mm-hmm. Most people yeah. who do want the best for this country are poor because <laughs> they never had anything, so right. they don't mind sharing. You know? And so it's a different thing. But to find one person who's both a billionaire and wants the best for this country, I can't think of the last time that's happened, ever. Uh, I would say it was Ross Perot, wasn't it? Ross Perot. I was just saying Ross Perot. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think uh, it was just going to, yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, so let's, so how about, you know, can you think of anybody before that? Rice no, Pro is actually a really good example. Yeah. 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 Well, he's the last one. Golly, I was a kid then, you know, so, uh, but, but I do remember it because everybody was, uh, you, you know, the, the, the talk was, and he actually got a lot of flack because they were like, he's trying to buy the presidency. <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't everybody? <laughs> God, that was the yeah. idea. Ross Perot, that great sacking sound from Mexico yeah. with all our jobs are heading down there. Do you know what Ross Perot did? He was brilliant. And one of the things I really respected about him was the fact that – and I appreciate the extra time. I don't know if you have to go, so just let me know if we're, if we're overextending. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. And Jason hasn't called back yet. But do you remember when he actually hired a mercenary team to get his people out of the Middle East? He didn't even wait for the government. No. Yeah. No, he did. I don't, yeah, I don't he hired a mercenary that. team. Yeah. He, had, he rescued his own people. Uh, that were captured. And I think that might have been during the, uh, the Iranian hostage crisis that he actually said, I'm not going to wait for the government. He went in and got him. So that's the kind of person we need. Ross Perot would have been an interesting president. The problem with Ross Perot was the timing, because as he ran as an independent, uh, he got a whole lot of conservative votes, and that's how Bill Clinton got elected. So a lot of the time, uh, and a lot of us still do, feel that, that, that he was almost part of an operation, or, or Bill Clinton used him to get elected, because Bill Clinton did not get a majority vote. He got a plurality, but he did not get over 50% of the vote because of Ross Perot, yeah. which is interesting, interesting yeah. too, all your electoral college right. fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so what, let me just – one last question, I guess, is what do you think is going to happen with this debt ceiling? What, uh, how, how, how are the politics going to affect the market? Um, I, my personal opinion is that I think they're going to come to an agreement and this is going to, this is going to go to bed. Um, you know, I mean, I think that where we're at right now in, in the economy and, mm-hmm. and like I said, them, them not being able to afford a default, that they're going to come to an agreement. And that means, you know, the Republicans are going to have to, you know, balk on a few things and, and, um, you know, the, uh, um, you know, the, the Democrats are going to have to balk on a few things. So, you know, I mean, I, I think they'll get it worked out. I really do. There is no default, you know, and if we do, they've defaulted before. They defaulted, what, twice in the 70s? So it's not like it's uh, they did it. The last one, the last one was 2014, and that's the one that caused our credit rating to, to, to oh, uh, okay. go from a AAA to a AA. So, so the default was, uh, was beginning at, I think it was the end of 2013. And, uh-huh. when it, and this is actually Obama. When they were going in, they were like, okay, Obama was like, you know, the debt ceiling is getting out of control. We need to curb spending, and you know, pretty much most of Obama's presidency was was Democrat controlled, right? Yep, so yep. it was like he was like, "Hey, we need to we need to lower the budget. This is a problem." And you know, the House and the Senate couldn't agree. They were like, "Yeah, we got all these spending and things that we need to do," and and you know, they literally drug it out so much. The president's like, "I'm not going to sign it." He's like, I'm not doing anything, and it ended up as a default. And right behind that, um, you know, uh, Standard and Poor's or Moody's or you know whatever the the rating systems were were like, okay, well, you know, since there was a default and you guys were late in your bond payments, which is not a good thing, we have to lower your credit rating. Well, it caused a almost 18 percent pullback in the market over wow. about a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I mean, it snapped. It snapped right back. It was kind of. It was kind of like a, uh, you know, three-month dip. You know, I mean, I call those buying opportunities, um, you know, but, uh, um, you know, still, it's, you know, nobody likes to see their money go back 18%. Hell no. But they never talk about yeah. the truth. They, they, this lie, this is the thing that galls me so much, is that all they say is we have to raise that ceiling to meet our obligations. No, you don't. You have to lower your obligations and cut back well, on your spending. You know I mean, and, and cut, you know, and, but they the never say that. The only job that you're allowed to be a, li- be a liar and not go to jail is a politician. 
So, you know, just try <laughs> well, to be Janet a politician. Yellen. You know, and I understand this. You, you can't arrest somebody for lying. Otherwise, the, you know, most of the federal government would be in jail. But it's you, just you, that you no one – if they were under oath? Oh, that's true. Yeah, they're before Congress. Well, that'd be a great thing to get them that's before. Right. That's actually a really good idea. Let me see if I can uh, you know, uh, contact the, the congressional folks that I know and say, why don't you put Janet Yellen under oath and say, is that the only way out? Are you telling us under oath that there is no way – to cut, of course, it would be a lie, but it's a trick question. But the thing is, this is so easy. But why is it that we are the only people on the planet saying that if you, well, maybe there's a few others. I don't know everybody on the planet. But, be, but nobody is saying that I have seen saying, well, we don't have to raise the debt ceiling. We just cut spending below the debt ceiling. What's so hard about that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. it's so simple. That it, it stumped you. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, all you, all you have to do, and if one politician would say that, we do not have to. It's almost like the club. It's like, you say that. Oh, boy, we, we, we can't, you know, you know, feed our addiction to spending, our obsession with spending. But that's all it would take. Just simply lower the obligations below the debt ceiling, and you've met your obligations. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, Greg, okay. I got I to gotta step out, man. I got a okay. work call I got to do. Uh, thank you for the extra time. I appreciate it. And uh, enjoy your, your Memorial Day um, honoring and activities and things. And we'll talk to you next week. Oh, the week after. Sorry, the yep. week after. Okay, good. No worries. See you later. All right, yeah. man. Phone number okay. one more time. Uh, 850-995-0082. Thanks, Derek. Yep. Take care. There we go. Yeah, I kept them extra. <laughs> you know, it's like, you got to tell me when you got to go. <laughs> I understand that, you know, but... Uh, uh, but it, it was such a great discussion that, um, oh, he's got, uh, <laughs> so, so apparently I, I struck a nerve with Marco with the David Caruso comment. Uh, the first thing I remember him in was uh, Rambo. He played like this 18-year-old cop you know, with a high squeaky voice. <laughs> I, I thought he was a good actor, but I, I guess I could be wrong, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not what you call a theater critic. Marco doesn't care for it. It's kind of funny. So, so it was economics, the debt ceiling, and David Caruso this morning. <laughs> Speaking of redheaded actors, um, I don't know any other ones. Let's talk about Eva Van Dinglerbrook. Much more fun to talk about. See what she's doing lately. Um, but uh, I know what she's not doing. She's just calling my show, which is too bad, even though we do have a Skype line. Uh, looks like New Orleans Wake Up's on the uh, live chat, too. So uh, feel free to uh, um, chat in as well. The rest of the show is pretty open. Um, I'm going to take a break now, and I'm going to get back in, and we're going to talk about the, the debt ceiling. I should call it the debt ceiling lie. Because, in fact, I'd be interested in, in uh, Warren's opinion um, on the debt ceiling simply because, to me, it, it's, it's not really – I mean, both parties are, are totally screwing us. Uh, it's not – I don't think it's a partisan issue. It's not a Democrat or Republican because they're both obsessed with spending. They're both addicted to spending. Uh, it seems that the Democrats are a little more addicted to spending, but that's not really that big a deal because the Republicans are still addicted too. So, what, what, you know, a greater or lesser addiction by shades of a degree really don't matter. But the simple answer is – to, uh, in fact, I'm going to post, let me post this on, uh, uh, online so people can take a look at it. I, we have a bill, and this is, this is one of them, which very clearly says um, that the uh, Congress to borrow money uh, is removed, is deleted. That one sentence, in fact, I'm going to look at the bill right now. That way I can talk about it here. So rightyourlaws.com, you go to all, I'll, I'll, share, I'll walk you right through how I'm going to do it. So you go to rightyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, rightyourlaws.com. You click on legislation, you scroll down three, click on all proposed laws, and my computer, it'll be different on your phone if you're using that, but on a computer, which is a better way to do it, uh, constitutional amendment, it's the third one. Second one on the left side, if you have a column, uh, Congress shall not have the power to borrow money. And so let me, um, 
I'm going to take a break right now, and then I'll read it. How simple it, well, I'll read it now how simple this is. It says, uh, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution shall be amended by striking Clause 2 to borrow money on the credit of the United States. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. To borrow money on the credit of the United States. Section 8, Clause 1 shall be amended by adding at the end, and Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money to cover expenses greater than revenues. And then it says this amendment shall take effect immediately upon ratification. But that's it. So you take out the power of Congress to borrow money. You say Congress specifically cannot borrow money, uh, nor can they print money beyond revenue. So in other words, they can't create inflation. That's how you do it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the link on the website, give everybody a chance to look it up, um, who's listening. And um, if, you, if you're on the podcast, then just follow the directions that I gave you. But if you're live as Marco in the Netherlands and uh, Warren is here, then just take this link I'm about to post now, and this will take you directly to our bill. Oh, there it goes. Not the power of our money. There we go. All right, time is 8.16. Let me take a little bit of a break, play a couple things for you guys, and then I'll be back with uh, the debt ceiling. And uh, Warren, if you want to call in, this would actually be a good time to do that. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, 
which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Gracecare saves you both time and money. They provide medical efficacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strike Force is at StrikeForceEnergy.com. That's StrikeForceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. left the conversation. Uh, Marco's still on Netherlands. Let's get on debt ceiling. Uh, and of course, the big lie, and I've said this, I don't know how many times, the big lie is we do not have to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations. All we have to do is lower our obligations below the debt ceiling. And nobody says that. Uh, not Stephen Moore at Heritage, not uh, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, certainly not Brandon. <laughs> you know, there's no Democrat who's going to say that. But where are the Republicans? Where are the conservative Republicans? Where are the, the Republicans with at least a modicum of economics knowledge? They should be able to say this, and they're not saying it. So I don't know what they're doing. Uh, I think the problem is they are obsessed. They are absolutely obsessed with spending. They will do anything to spend money because they know that the more money they spend, the more they have to spend on, uh, on their re-election. And that's really what this is all about. So the only solution for me that I can see is to literally take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And I've got a rationale for it. I've got an explanation for it. 
Uh, let me see how much. Uh, it's actually pretty short. <clears throat> Why don't I just go over that right now, give you an idea of what we're talking about. So all I'm talking about is deleting from the Constitution uh, where it says that Congress shall have the power to, and the second one is to borrow money on the credit of the United States. So just delete those words. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, ten words. To borrow money on the credit of the United States so that the Congress would have no power, no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Then it says, uh, that's the first one, Article 1, Section 8. Uh, and then Article Clause 2. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 shall be amended by adding at the end, and Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money to cover expenses greater than revenues. So the reason I want to put that in there is just to the doubt that Congress cannot borrow money uh, on the credit of the United States. Now, if they borrow money some other way, I don't know how else they would do it. But since the specific language is to borrow money on the credit of the United States, I don't think they could borrow money on anybody else's credit. Who's going to loan money to Congress? <laughs> you know, what, the, the, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderbergers, the, the, you know, the, the Illuminati, you know, the World Economic Forum, you know, the, the, the banks of Switzerland, do you think they're going to loan money? You, know, you think uh, Chase or, or J.P. Morgan, <laughs> you think any of these banks are going to loan money to Congress? Of course not. That's why they borrow on the credit of the United States. So you take away that, they're not going to be able to borrow money. And, of course, everybody, you know, I know what the arguments are going to be. They're going to say, but Greg, but Greg, what about an emergency? Well, what about an emergency? Do what everybody else does. Save up for it. Have enough money in the treasury to handle your emergencies. But what about a war? <laughs> to my response is, okay, so you think that, uh, uh, let's, let's play out a scenario. So, so China launches nuclear missiles at us. They're, they're going to be here in 30 minutes. Um, do you think Congress is going to meet and borrow money? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, and so if you don't have your contingencies in place, it doesn't matter. The way the war works these days, I mean, major, serious, you know, continental war, uh, it's over before you have time to borrow money. So that's not a consideration. All right, well, let's take the worst uh, disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, things like that. Yeah, they're expensive, but they're nowhere near as expensive as, uh, you know, uh, COVID bailouts and uh, other bailouts and things like that. So we can recover from all our natural disasters fairly quickly, you know, especially with state and federal aid. And I don't have a problem with state or federal aid. I really don't. You know, insurance should cover a lot of it, but People don't get insurance because of the state and federal aid. But we can save up for those things. So how about a pandemic? Well, I just wrote an article on Substack. So you go to gregpengliss.substack.com that the cure for COVID was freedom. So COVID could have easily been handled very cheaply at 20 cents a pill for hydroxychloroquine, a little bit of zinc, a little bit of zithromycin, some vitamin D3, vitamin C. So people could have cured their COVID for about 25 bucks (laughs) or or less. All right. So I, I think that the Treasury could have afforded that. That wouldn't be a big deal. And, and so the cure for COVID was freedom, freedom of information, freedom to let doctors practice medicine, freedom to be free from the propaganda, you know, and have the First Amendment so that when I came out uh, and said that we have a bill that says that Congress can only spend half their money on vaccines, the other half has to be spent on early treatments because I already knew early treatments worked. And this is February 27th of 2020. And then March 2nd, we broadcast the show. So look, chloroquine works. You know, and I just wrote an article. I can't use the line. I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but I just wrote an article on this, very clearly saying that uh, that freedom, freedom would have cost virtually nothing, and those million lives that were lost, ninety percent of them to ninety-five percent of them could have been saved. And that's not my estimate. That's Dr. Zelenko. That's uh, that's Dr. Um, Peter McCullough. That's Dr. Robert Malone. That you talk to anybody that knows anything about COVID, Dr. Judy Mikovits, ninety to ninety-five percent of the people that that died because of uh, well, also the remdesivir ventilator death march could have been saved easily. This was not that big a deal. It's not even a, a serious flu bug, unless you're really vulnerable, in which case even a, a flu bug is, you know, can kill you. 
Uh, I mean, a cold can kill you if you're vulnerable enough. But this is the thing. Freedom was the cure for COVID. So before I get to Pianchi, let me just read my rationale for my constitutional amendment. And then we'll have a couple to talk about as we sort of go into the debt spiral. Uh, I said Congress has proven since about 1900 that it cannot contain its borrowing. The temptation is simply too great. We are on a course of national economic suicide. The current national debt exceeds $30 trillion and impossibly – just check some here. Okay, we're good. So make sure I was broadcasting. The current debt, national debt, exceeds $30 trillion, an impossibly large sum to contemplate, yet it has to be paid back. And it can be paid back so that as the bonds sold to cover the debt mature over time, with no new borrowing and no printing of money in excess of revenues, the debt will disappear eventually since no new debt can be created nor bonds for debt issued. It is critical to understand that this clause has not be, cannot be overridden for any reason. Let me say that again. I kind of botched it. It is critical to understand that this clause cannot be overridden for any reason. Way too Americans, all the way up to the highest levels of government, believe that rights can be limited and parts of the Constitution can be turned off for just cause, national emergency, declared war, undeclared war, pandemic, or any number of other creative excuses, and it simply isn't true. This clause mandates fiscal and monetary discipline such that in the event of a crisis, Congress will have to use other means rather than borrowing to meet it. Congress can build up savings in the Treasury, ask the states for money, cut spending, remove duplication and waste, eliminate fraud, audit all departments and agencies, go to zero-based budgeting, abolish entitlements, make it impossible for illegal aliens to live here, limit legal immigration to replacement levels, privatize Social Security and Medicare, change unfunded mandates, increase the value of money through deflation of the money supply, lower taxes to increase revenue by making the economy grow, and undeclared wars and interventions, says end, not and, excuse me, end undeclared wars and interventions, cancel all current spending beyond revenues, comply fully with the delegated powers of the Constitution, and many other viable options. They just have to try them. By the way, none of those things are being done. All they want to do is raise the debt ceiling. Every one of those would lower the, lower the, uh, the budget. Last paragraph. The elimination of the power to borrow money should result in a drastic reduction in the irrational spending of Congress on economic stimulus, government-created science on theories like climate change, endless foreign wars, illegal mandates, corporate and personal welfare, foreign aid, unemployment, and the many agencies and departments not specifically enumerated in the Constitution. This should facilitate a return of much power to the states, much money to the treasury, and a drastically smaller and constitutionally compliant federal government. Looks like Jason's back too, but uh, I promise I'll get to Pianchi first, then we'll get to Jason, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk guns again. Actually, having a gun Friday, finally. It's about time. Pianchi, constitutional amendment to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. What do you think? Well, that's what Convention of States is working on. Yeah. Do you have a specific bill on that? Now, just for the record, Pianchi and I disagree on this. I think a Convention of States would be a disaster. He's in favor of it. Well, that's fine. That's that's what we talk about here. Uh, do they have a proposal written no, down? No, for the record, why just... I disagree with you, uh, Congress never will limit itself like that. Okay. Yeah, and I have a, I have a way to do it. Actually, the, the, my, way, my preferred method would be that the states pass it by resolution so that it, more than three-quarters of the states pass by resolution, uh, which isn't binding, but at least it would tell Congress that, uh, you know, we're not going to cooperate with you unless you do this. 
And that's how the states can do it. And that would, that would bypass a convention. So we don't have the risk of losing the Constitution to a bunch of other amendments. Uh, and then the Congress and then the people, with people between the pressure of the especially if they start withholding money from the federal government and the pressure of the people saying we want this constitutional amendment, I believe Congress will be in a position where they have to do it or they won't get reelected. So that, that's my – and I, I can't prove it. That's my theory. That's how I think it will work. Yeah, there wouldn't be no bunch of other – the convention is called to call on certain proposals and those ones that they stick to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You still have to have 38 states to go along with anything, even if, it's, if they say they want to do away with the Second Amendment. 38 states might not do that. No, but they can still cause that's the safeguard. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean your your argument makes sense. I just disagree. I think that it'd be, and I think it would be uh, much better to not have the convention in the first place because I think it opens up a can of worms that we don't need right now. But I mean, the convention is better than nothing. But it's not good, and that's my disagreement. Um, let's get to Jason. Let's talk guns for a while. We don't get a chance to do this very often, and he's on the line right now. Then we can come back. We've got the rest of the show to come back to this. Jason, welcome back. Thank you, sir. Yeah, glad you could call back. Did you get a chance to hear of any, any of our economic chat? We, we, this has been a fabulous show today, much better than I expected, because everybody's calling in. Uh, unfortunately, I did not. I was rather preoccupied. And okay. uh, working on some of the stuff because, of, of course, the paintball field is getting opened up. It'll be the first day Saturday. And it is just uh, the, the, the final minutes. We're down to the, the, the TikToks, you know? Okay. Well, let's, let's reintroduce you to the audience here. Uh, we've got Marco on the Netherlands listening. Uh, Warren from New Orleans Wake Up uh, had to leave. We've got Pianchi and me, of course. <laughs> and so, so Jason is standing your ground. Uh, is, uh, well, why don't you introduce yourself, but he, his commercial is the one I play every day for our new shooting range here in Milton, Florida. So uh, address, phone number, why don't you give that stuff real quick, and then we'll get to tell me about paintball. We are located at 6632 Elva Street here in Milton, Florida. Best contact number for us is 850-789-1776. You can also mm-hmm. reach Web- us at standyourground1776 at Gmail. There we go. Website? Our website is standyourground1776.com itself. Okay. Makes sense. Tell me about paintball. I love paintball. I've only done it once. It actually was an official capacity. But go ahead. You tell me. As we uh, have promised this city of ours that this Mm -hmm. was coming, it is finally here. Um, We have a field that is 100 what is it 120 by 80 it's a pretty good sized field it's just shy of a half football field mm-hmm. uh we've got netting up all around it so that our way of course we're safe and we have a number of uh paintball markers as people tend to want to call them now so they don't offend people guys what's a marker guns. you mean <laughs> they're, they're the guns. Wait, wait, you have to call them a marker <laughs> wait, 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 what kind of political what correct sophistry is this no, 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 stop right yeah. there. This is ridiculous. It's a paintball gun. It, yeah. shoots, it shoots, you know, paintball bullets, you know, round little yeah. nodules. It's a gun. It fires, an, uh, fires a projectile with air behind it. Same thing as a bullet fired by gas, except slower, obviously. And it's for fun. We're not trying to kill anybody here. Yes. They call them markers? I actually... Paintball markers? Oh, my God. correct. I oh. laughed at the... I laughed at the person that told me that because I was wanting to buy paintball guns 
And he says, well, we don't call them guns. They're markers. I said, no, sir, that's a paintball gun. He says, no, in order to be politically correct and not to offend the urban housewife. I'm like, I don't care about her. <laughs> it's, this is the truth. This is what it is. Don't try and sugarcoat it. And I went ahead and canceled my business with them. I won't do business with them because they call them <laughs> markers. Uh, no, actually, y'all, y'all go Mark, ahead and pander to a different crowd. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, Mark so, just corrected from the Netherlands. He says it doesn't shoot paintball bullets, which he's actually right. He says it shoots paintballs. What's wrong saying paintballs? Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think he's absolutely right. So uh, thanks for the correction, Mark. Correct. I appreciate it. Yeah. So it's a gun it, that shoots it's paintballs. It's rather interesting. Uh-huh. Correct. Now, it, the history of it, uh, from what I understand, is paintballing came into be because of a bunch of farmers uh-huh. tagging their cattle at distance that were sick so they knew which ones were sick and what they needed to do, but they couldn't get close to them. Otherwise, in the herd, they could mark the herd with that. And, of course, just as uh, really? NASCAR That's interesting. came from, mm-hmm. you know, bootlegging uh, and, and, of course, then turned into a sport, this mm-hmm. is a bunch of farmers getting out there deciding that it would be a good idea to, to tag each other and hence the sport <laughs> is so they, Did they call it cow tagging? Uh, and did, did they have, were the guns called tag, tag markers? <laughs> they well, they, were, they were called markers. <laughs> well, it's better than cow tipping. Cow tagging sounds much more fun than cow tipping. Well, I've never actually engaged, I'm engaged wondering if in that's where the tipman. I'm wondering if that's where the Tipman uh, name came from for cow tipping versus Tipman. Nonetheless, um, we have different grades, uh, as I have learned. I've gotten a crash course in paintballing. There are different <laughs> grades of, of course, the guns. There are different grades of the paintballs. Uh, for kids, there is a lesser powerful. Uh, as well as the paintballs themselves burst easier and cause less pain. Okay. Uh, for the adults, part of the enjoyment is getting hit and feeling those whelps and being bruised up for days and taking pictures. This is, uh, this is like, like a uh, of for creative anachronism. This is like the, the medieval reenactors that get bruises because they actually engage in you know full contact uh, swordplay. Something I thought of too, yes. but I don't want to damage my hands. So, uh, <laughs> what kind of protective gear? I mean, do you need a cup? I mean, you don't want to get hit uh, in your man parts with a with a paintball. So, I mean, what, what what protective gear do they have, and how fast are these things going? Um, the interesting thing behind uh, how fast they're going is going to really depend on how much air they have in their tank and the temperature of the day. Those all vary. Uh, okay. Are they moving quickly? Yes. I don't know the, the exact movement on these things yet. Uh, as far as a protective cup for uh, anyone, if they want to wear them, great. It's been uh, suggested by a few people, which is something I never would have thought about personally. Uh, but they need to be wearing long sleeve, closed-toed shoes. Yeah. They get a mask from us. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that most of them will be wearing a chest plate or shield. Okay. Um, and they get out there and play, uh, do their thing, and enjoy it. We, of course, you have to purchase the paintballs from us. That way nobody sneaks in pepper balls, rubber balls, or frozen paintballs, Ooh, which uh, right. the way I understand the formula has changed, so they cannot be frozen. Um, See, I never would have thought of that. People are so devious. Of... People are so nasty. And yes. I never would have thought, that never occurred to me. Huh. Um, now that we've got a break, quick comment from uh, Marco. He says that uh, Charles Nelson of the Nelson Paint Company designed the first paintball gun in the mid-60s as an efficient way of marking trees that needed to be cut down. 
It was also used by ranchers to mark cattle, like you said. Uh, this is why many people, including Paintballing Limited, still refer to a paintball gun as a paintball marker. I like your explanation better. I think the politically correct thing is, uh, yeah, here's my marker. It's, uh, it holds, uh, you know, <laughs> 50 rounds of, of paintball markers, or do we say 50 capsules of paintball markers? I mean, do we call them paintballs anymore? I mean, what do we call them? You know, that's like calling Absolutely. a stapler. We're calling them paintballs. You remember a stapler gun, right? Now, now is it a yes. is it a stapler um, paper connector? You know, or what another one? How about a nail gun? Is that a nail house connector? Well, <laughs> you know, everything they, we call a gun. They get upset. People yeah. get upset because, of course, we call firearms. Uh, what is it? Uh, wireless or hole punch devices, things as such. There's all <laughs> kinds of things to have fun with to make fun of things. Right, exactly. But, uh, you know, okay, all right. Hey, let me ask Pianchi if he's ever done paintball. Pianchi, you ever tried this? No, I never. I know a place uh, right outside of St. Louis that have a similar situation like what you're describing. Mm-hmm. People yeah. have fun in it. Well, here's something interesting, too. You could actually, when we were talking about earlier about scenario training, you could actually do the stress of scenario training with uh, somebody opposing you. I mean, you, you know, because if someone has a paintball and, you know, it's, it's not the same as having someone point a real gun at you and, and they're trying to kill you, but you've, you're inducing stress that you don't want to get hit with Correct. a paintball, that, uh, that you can actually uh, train people. In fact, here's what I did when I trained with uh, U.S. Customs. Until they put me in a booth and made me, you know, scan passports eight hours a day for several months. And I said, I can't do this anymore. Anyway, but uh, during the paintball exercise in training, I did really well. Uh, I don't think I'm giving away any classified secrets, but the, the instructor had one of those machine gun paintballs. So he had an unlimited supply and he had a tank, <laughs> you know, and he was out there blasting away. And, and we had, it was funny because we had cover. We had that, they had a, uh, a, like an old beat up car and they had a couple of trees and they had a pole. I actually learned how to stand behind a pole. And use the uh, the distance from sure. the pole as as a shield, right? So all these things you learn. And Correct. This is, just, this is this is pretty basic stuff. So like I say, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets. But what's interesting was uh, competing against Army Rangers in my class. You know, we're talking Army veterans uh, who got hit by the instructor in the chest and in the face. I actually got the instructor. I was one of, like one of two people that took out the instructor with my little handgun simunition, you know, Glock paintball thing because I used my head. I used cover. I appeared from places the instructor didn't expect. I would shoot from one place, disappear, and come up from someplace completely different. It was actually really great training, and I would use that in an emergency. If I have to take on, you know, some wacko assassin in a store, I'm going to shoot from one place, completely disappear, appear somewhere else where they don't expect. You know, I'm going to use what I learned in training because it worked. But it's a fabulous thing for training, I think, paintball. Does the military use paintball training? Yes, they do. They actually do. Um, Tell me. They use simulation rounds. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some of them, of course, are the paintball, just like what we're using. Uh, Some of them are the simulation, so they're more realistic as far as the type of weaponry. Um, They've come a long way since I was a kid, for God's sakes, whenever we started playing with paintball guns that you could buy at Walmart, which you can't get there anymore. Of course not, because um, they're politically correct wussies. (laughs) They're they're, they're woke mart. (laughs) So let's come woke mart. They have... They have sniper rifles, shotguns. They have all kinds of different weapons out there uh, and handguns. That, yeah, paintball uh, optics? They do have optics. Really? Uh, it is incredible red dot red ball what you can do wow. on some of these. <laughs> pretty much. This it is, is incredible what you can do out there on these fields nowadays. Um, I so, would like to put up a five-acre field, but okay. this one will start us off. 
Okay, so wait a minute. So let's, let's get. So do you, are you going to organize teams? Is it going to be a league? Can I join my own paintball team? You know what? You know I have a million questions. What's the investment? You know what? What do we got going on here? Tell me. So depending on depending on what anybody wants to do, yes, there are leagues out here. Uh, okay. Um, depending on the field size and what they want to play, mm-hmm. they, we are able to accommodate that. Um, there are. Have you connected with leagues? With have you connected with different leagues? Moment. Okay. Not as of this moment. Uh, we are, as I said, we're opening up Saturday for the first time, and going to kind of work out the kinks before we go see everybody. Um, right. Make a video. This, this is going to be our trial date. <laughs> Make a Facebook video yes, so we can watch it. Yeah. Uh, we're we're supposed to be contacting somebody with a drone, uh, so we can try and video from the air and see that. Oh, can um, we shoot drones with the paintball? Oh, come on, let's 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 have aerial targets. <laughs> I think we can accommodate that. We can wait. Can they put can they put uh, a paintball gun on a drone and and use it to 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 shoot people with it? That would be an interesting one. That would be interesting. Ooh. Air support. So, we'll, right. We'll call the A10. We'll call uh, the A10 drone. We'll, we'll put a paintball gun on a drone. Go ahead, Bianca. Think What's that? You don't want to do that. I think as a federal fence shooting drone, anything above the ground one eighth of an inch is in that's true. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good point. What if the drone's shooting at you? What if it's part of a game, a sanctioned <laughs> game? Would we need? Well, actually, well, you we had a duck. Get... <laughs> <laughs> well, we could probably well, get an FAA clearance, don't you think? I would make special use airspace. We'll make a drone field. So as long as the drone stays within the uh, the, the special the, the the temporary restricted zone, that no other drone goes in, and we we have drones armed with paintball guns. I think this is hysterical. <laughs> We're a whole new sport. This is going to be interesting to think about. Yeah, the A10 so, drone. Uh, our so, field, so it has a camera, right? So field. you have a camera. You got some nerd with a computer and a firing button. <laughs> you know, these video games will finally pay off. Playing video games all those years for some people. I would I I remember Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers. I don't remember anything else. I, I don't. Well, it's not to Derek. That was Derek not a video game. plays him, and and Derek is a, is a combat veteran. I mean, I believe he was a door kicker, if you know what I mean. Mm. So so Derek mm-hmm. just wanted to talk to you about that. I don't know how much he wants to talk about it. I mean, uh, I always I've always had great respect for veterans. It's like you know, it's always the option. Do you want to talk about this? And they'll say yes or no. So if it's no, it's no. Sure. But he's talked a little bit about some uh, some of his experience. He was in Iraq. And so, uh, yeah, I think he was combat infantry, um, but uh, he likes video games. We're talking about it. it's public information. I'm not giving away secrets. We talked about that. You know, I think the first 15 minutes of his financial report, we're talking about uh, combat video games. So, so paintball seems a natural extension of video games because, you know, the guys that uh, they don't want to watch action movies. We had enough of uh, Sylvester Stallone, yeah, and uh, playing Rambo. We don't need the Rambo anymore, right? So that's gone. Uh, and all the other, the, John Cena was the other one, and uh, who else? Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I'll be back. Okay, fine. You know, I mean, all that stuff's gone. But uh, the video games seem active, participatory, and seems like the next level, because we don't, don't want to hurt people. So if the video games, you know, aren't doing it for you anymore, I think paintball seems like the next logical step, because you're actually out there physically doing stuff, and you can get shot with a paintball, and it's still simulating, but, you know, it's close enough to real, I think. You get hit, you get hit. Uh, uh, right. A couple things. One, it teaches camaraderie. It teaches um, teaches you to not get upset. I mean, you got tagged, you're out. You know, take yeah. your turn. Yep. Uh, it teaches Don't count to you 100. stress under fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't cancel culture this thing. 
Um, it teaches you a lot about it, and there again, where we're going with it is the safety aspect of what to do, muzzle awareness, when you're mm-hmm. on that trigger, when you're not, uh, shoot, don't shoot scenarios. Um, right. we're, we're taking it to that level as far as training goes, hopefully. Um, with the timing of school being out for the summer, uh, mm-hmm. we'll see how busy we get, but we are the closest one for roughly an hour around, so I think we'll do good for the community. This is good, yeah, yeah. Uh, Marco has a comment from the Netherlands. He says, Dolph Lundgren, I must break you. <laughs> Go right, for it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we need clubs. Like, that'd be great to have, like, the, the, the Dolph Lundgren, you know, paintball club, or we just pick, like, different action figures. This is going to be fun. This is going to be great. I want to do it. So I also want to do wooden sword yes, fighting. Yes, sir. Yes, I wanna, sir. I want to get a, a medieval jousting club of uh, Boken, of wooden swords, katanas, English knight swords, things like that. So if you can find an instructor, I don't want to go full Society for Creative Anachronism, you know, the full metal sword padding, all that kind of stuff. That's just a lot of effort. But, you know, a good wooden sword is, is you know, that's what, these, that's what they used to train with back in the old days. Both the samurai and the, uh, yes. the, the knights would train with wooden swords first. So that would be a fun club to do as well. Well, Gentlemen, I thank you for the time here. It is always a pleasure to be here with you. I need to get moving here and open up. We have students that are ready to start their security training for the day. Yay. So, well, listen, let's get your contact uh, information one more time. Have fun, and uh, let me, let, let, tell me on that paintball. Send me the paintball video. We'll put it on our, on our video project. But, uh, yeah, this is going to be so much fun. You got it. And, of course, we are Stand Your Ground at 6632 Elva Street here in Milton, Florida. Our telephone number is 850-789-1776. If you wish to email us, go ahead at standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Gentlemen, y'all have a wonderful day, and I will talk to you soon, Greg. Thanks, Jason. Call back more often. We, we, Friday's gun day, so All you right. might as well just, you know, you can call every Friday. I don't care. But uh, thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. Yes, sir. Right. Bye-bye. Bye now. So, Pianchi, what do you think? <laughs> this sounds like a blast. We need to get, like, an action radio team. Uh, I know you're not local, but, uh, you know, at some point we may have like a, you know, when we all make a fortune, have an invitational action radio fly in. We'll, we'll, we'll be a team. <laughs> you know, this would be, this would be a blast. Yeah, yeah that would be, be fun. very interesting. It may yeah. uh, draw an international news corps to cover it. Yeah. And I wonder if they could, now listen, I'm going to ask Marco in Europe, can the, can you guys do paintball? Because they're not, you know, they're markers, not guns, right? <laughs> so uh, is that something that uh, is catching on in Europe? I'd be really curious. You know what else would be fun to do, Pianchi? Uh, Wild West shootouts with simunition. You know, have people dress up in old cowboy garb and have your six guns filled with, uh, for those who don't know what simunition is, it's, it's called, it's a short form of simulated ammunition. And when I had my federal law enforcement training, uh, they have bullets of paint. And they, they work like regular bullets. They go in your, in your, your simulated gun. Uh, which is made for simunition, uh, and you have a magazine, and you only have so many rounds. So it's very realistic, um, the difference being you're firing you know, paint and not real stuff. And so I'm not going to go into all the details of training, um, but uh, simunition is very commonly used with police, uh, government training, law enforcement, things like that. But I don't know if it's available in the civilian market. I think so, but I'm not sure. Pianchi, do you know if, if, we, if people can buy simunition and use it? I don't know about that, Greg. Okay. Um, I'll look into it. I'm going to write down here simulation. I'm in my notes here. Marco says that uh, he's never done it. He says, but what's the difference between paintball and airsoft? Um, I think there's a world of difference. Paintball, these little balls of, literally balls of paint, 
um, and they can't hurt. <laughs> you know, and I, I, but I'll tell you what, when I had the adrenaline pumping, when I was doing my paintball exercise, you know, training for U.S. Customs, uh, I got grazed on the leg, you know, a minor flesh wound. I actually did really well, uh, considering I was, you know, 40, and the, most of the guys were like 28. Um, and uh, a lot of them were Army veterans who have been through all the combat training, and I still did better. Uh, I'm not bragging. It's just, it was just a reality. But the, diff- the only difference was I used my head more, used cover better, and I was smarter about it. And so that's, that's, you don't have to be the biggest, fastest, or the smallest, fastest you know, person to succeed in, in a combat situation. You just have to be the smartest. And, or at least, you know, do, you know, make the right decisions and make the right moves. And again, I used cover. I appeared from different places behind different objects. The instructor never knew where I was going to get them from. And I'd fire a shot and disappear. And one of them hit, <laughs> you know, so I actually got the instructor, which I thought was pretty cool. Anyway, um, but uh, Airsoft, I think is like spongy pellets. I'm not sure what Airsoft is. I don't know anything about it. Uh, Panky, do you know about Airsoft? Have you heard of, do you know what that is? Yeah, I've heard. And I think it's a, I believe it's a, a used air as a, of course, I guess paintballs do as a uh-huh. propulsion. And hmm. it's just a, a soft object. Like a spongy thing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. See, but the thing about a paintball, Maybe what's nice about a paintball, yeah, what's nice about a paintball is it marks you. You know, and it's all, it's washable. Right. You know, as far as I know, it's washable stuff. And so what you, but you'd have to find a way to, I guess, if you did multiple events, erase your previous, you know, uh, mortal wounds, <laughs> you know, and start again. So maybe they, or maybe they'd use different colors in the course of a day, like, you know, red for the first event, yellow for the second, blue for the third. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm just thinking of how there's, there's many ways they could do this, but I, I'm really excited by this. I think this is, is really fun uh, for me. So, I, but there's money. It does take an investment. You know, and you do need, I think if you have jeans and a long sleeve shirt and the mask and, and the gloves and they have a chest plate. So like I say, you know, you don't, you don't want to get hit in the man parts. I mean, I think a cup is actually in order. I mean, I've, you know, I'll, I'll ask the people to do this professionally, but uh, I don't know, knee pads, elbow pads. I mean, I've seen people check out online, see what they have for gear. Uh, I think they could probably slow them down a little bit so they don't hurt or make this, make them a little thinner. You know, I think that would be a smart idea. I don't think that uh, that pain is necessarily uh, something that is required for paintball. I think if they have lighter skins, that you know, as long as they don't pop in your gun, but as long as they pop on you, uh, you'll see it. <laughs> you know, once you're marked, you're marked. You know, it's pretty obvious uh, when you get hit by paintball. But these guys, it was really funny. Uh, my fellow classmates, the big blotches on their chest, you know, and their, oh, their whole face mask was, you know, one big blob of paint. So you guys got hit. What were you thinking? Anyway. It was a great exercise. I absolutely loved it. Um, let me see what Marco says here. He says, paintball is more well-known, is the more well-known option. He says, which uses small balls of paint, yep, launched from an air-powered gun that focuses on teamwork, strategy, and stealth. Yeah, exactly. I think stealth is, people really need to use, learn how to use cover, and that's not taught in gun courses much either. He says, Airsoft is a combat simulation game focused on creating a more realistic experience for its players. Okay. Those players use guns that are made to resemble real life firearms and shoot tiny plastic pellets instead of the target uh, uh, paint filled paintball uh, things. Uh, looked it up. Okay, guys. Marco, thank you. Listen, I really appreciate you looking things up for us here. Um, that's, that's really great. And if anybody wonders where I'm getting this from, this is live chat. So live chat works while we're on the air. It, it obviously doesn't work for a podcast because nobody's here. <laughs> I'm not. Um, but, uh, but that's interesting. Yeah, I think the paintball sounds like more fun. Because in a, in a realistic scenario, especially the red ones, you know, you're, if you get shot with a gun, you're going to bleed. Uh, and so a, a red paintball gun, you know, did you get a shoulder wound or did you get, uh, you know, center mass heart shot? 
I mean, that makes a difference. So maybe there are rules. I want to say rules, like if you get one in the shoulder or the arms or the legs, you know, you can continue. But if you get like too many, then you have to stop. I don't know. I mean, what's realistic? This is fascinating to me. Any more, any more paintball comments? Then we'll get to, I'll take a break and we'll get on to uh, money. No, I can get some under the bed. Let's go. Okay. All right. So let me uh, uh, play some. I'm actually out of commercials because I played some of them earlier. So let me do a quick thing. So we'll take a real quick break. It's 8.55, 8.55. And this is probably my last break. Um, I was going to play all my comedy things, but uh, let me play. Let me find my announcement uh, for sponsors. And it has that five-second gap. And then I'll play, play maybe one of our comedy things and then be uh, be right back. Oh, yeah, five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Here it comes. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener. And help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution. No family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio. You've all heard those ads for people who have suffered medical or health tragedies, which say you may be entitled to compensation. But if you have suffered injuries or crippling diseases or medical procedures that went horribly wrong, it's not the compensation you need, it's the knowledge you should have had before the condition you suffer from now. So that you are never in that position in the future, I strongly recommend that you do not get any COVID vaccines. Get informed. Do your own research. For 99.97% of Americans, your natural immunity will give you, at worst, only moderate symptoms of COVID. If you've already had COVID, it's virtually impossible to get it again. There are effective cures for COVID, which will get you completely over the virus. There is no cure for the COVID-19 vaccines. Once you start down the road of DNA modification, there is no going back. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. 
The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. All right, let's get going. All right, top of the hour. Um, I don't usually play that our our, uh, our PSA against the COVID vaccine because there's a couple of inaccuracies I have since learned since I made it, which was I think about three years ago. And one of them is that uh, if you have had the jab, there are things you can do. There's different products. I think Cardio Miracle, some other things that can reduce blood clots and actually get you back uh, on the road to recovery to reduce the the symptoms. Um, but it does it is gene changing technology. It is modifying your genetics. And that is a very, very dangerous thing. So a couple of inaccuracies, but I want to play it anyway just for the historic value because I haven't played it forever. So uh, if you have problems uh, with the COVID shot, go see, go see a good doctor that actually knows how to uh, help you recover from that. All right, let's get back to the show. Pianki, um, debt ceiling. Let's, uh, um, why are they lying to us about this? Why are these people so obsessed with spending? Why, uh, let's get the big questions. Then, I'll, then I've got uh, a possible um, one Republican solution here. Why do they do this? Why don't they, they just tell us the truth? We don't want to cut spending. <laughs> you know, we want to keep spending your money. We want to keep using it to get elected. We're lying to you. <laughs> and no one comes out and says, no, we don't have to uh, raise the debt ceiling. We can simply uh, lower the uh, spending below the debt ceiling. But they never say that. They never say that simple little thing. Nobody does. Maybe us. Well, that's why come the bureaucrat of <clears throat> Washington, D.C. have grown so large because the people that's needed to man and carry out these programs that Congress has put in effect. And these programs never end. They continue to go on. You know, every program should have a sunset, I think, rather than continue to go on. So if a program is designed to help people to alleviate a problem, whether it's a short-term problem or long-term problem, then once that problem is no longer, then that program should end, and those that needed to administer their program, they should uh, have to go find a new job. That makes sense. That's not the way it works. No, I mean, uh, one of the the most famous uh, provisions of of the sunset was used against the illegal uh, Clinton gun ban which is blatantly unconstitutional. You can't, you can't tell people what kind of guns they can and can't buy. Uh, and yet that never made it to the Supreme Court, but it had a 10-year limit. And I'm not sure how that happened. I guess that was the compromise, that uh, before the, uh, uh, the Clinton gun ban, you know, uh, there wasn't a massive problem. During the Clinton gun ban, there wasn't a massive problem. It didn't really solve anything as far as crime goes. Uh, and after the Clinton gun ban, there, were, you know, there wasn't a massive problem. What's causing these assassinations is uh, you know, the, the pathway that the left puts kids through, particularly boys, which is ADHD drugs, um, psych, uh, psychotropic drugs, and then trans drugs. You, know, you do all that, and you know, eventually you create an assassin. 
uh, you know, and so that's what the problem is. But this idea that the, the government can ban, you know, classes of firearms is completely ludicrous. But it did have a sunset provision, so it ended. I mean, it, it didn't take an act of Congress to end it. The act of Congress initially put a 10-year limit on it. So I don't, can you think of any other sunset, you know, bills that were huge? Of course, the Democrats were screaming, we have to bring it back. We have to bring it back. Well, you ain't going to get it back because it was illegal in the first place. Well, that's another. See, that's another thing, too. Mm-hmm. Then what they've done was basically turn the switch off on the Second Amendment, which should never be turned off. And mm-hmm. courts shouldn't have to get involved in it. It's quite obvious what the amendment says. But the reason why courts have to get involved, because you got these people with these devious schemes on trying to get around over and under something like mm-hmm. the Second Amendment. And that's where these problems come into existence. That's where you start making the court a lawmaker rather than an opinion giver and a problem solver between two or more parties. Well, see, I don't mind the court striking down laws. They should have, the Supreme Court, that's their job. If they get a case before them, you know, where someone brings a, a lawsuit against the, uh, uh, the Clinton gun ban and brings it to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court can say, yeah, this is unconstitutional because of the Second Amendment. That's using the Second Amendment. That's the way it's designed. But if they then say, you know, we're going to bring this on, but we're going to give you a, a, another gun control thing that we do approve of, that would be illegal because that would be judicial review making stuff up. So there's a line. I think there's a very clear line. We talk about this in our bill, our judicial review bill, that the, the courts can act within the Constitution. They can strike down laws, provisions. They can strike down things. Of course, those can then be struck down by Congress. You know, Congress has an override. Uh, as well, just as the Supreme Court can override Congress, Congress can override the Supreme Court and say, look, your, your opinion is bogus. It's not true. It's illegal. You made a wrong decision. They should have done that with Roe v. Wade. But, um, but that's how it works. And so you're right. Yeah. You're yeah. absolutely right on that. But see, the problem is, is that people can't read three lines of mm-hmm. two words, and then they don't understand what those two words mean. There's something wrong with them. Maybe they shouldn't be in the position that they're in it. But the things have gotten completely out of control. You got these devious schemes and attempts in order to circumvent, and that mm-hmm. just causes a lot of problems. We know where we are today. Yeah, it's interesting talking to Ron Brody yesterday. I don't know if you heard our first hour. He was a fabulous guest, but we disagreed very strongly uh, on Marbury versus Madison on judicial review. He believed those are good decisions, and he believes also that the court can interpret the Constitution. All of which I think is completely wrong. And we talked about that pretty pretty openly. Um, and disagreed completely on that. And so it's up to people. They can, they can listen to that discussion. But I still contend that without an, inter- an interpretations clause in the Constitution, the Supreme Court cannot interpret it. You know, without uh, a couple of other things in there, they can't do it. You know, there's no emergency clause. There's no restriction clause. There's no limitation clause. And, and uh, Ram was arguing that, well, with the conflict of rights, you know, then the, it ha- the courts have to decide how rights are limited. I said, that's not true. I said, there is no conflict of rights. There might be conflicts in uses of actions that people take, and that the courts can resolve. But the rights themselves, there's no conflict at all because rights are absolute. It was a really interesting discussion. I think you might uh, find it quite fascinating. Anyway, well, maybe I, I missed that. But, you know, when you look at uh, people wanting to use the court that way, it reminds me of a, a, a ruling and disciplined, undisciplined child. Yeah. See, the child will go through the mother to try to overrule the father. Mm-hmm. And that's where that practice is learned probably at home. 
and then ends up in situations like what you're talking about, about mm-hmm. courts can interpret the Constitution. and over, That's a bunch of malarkey. Yep. Yeah, fundamental principle of the Constitution is the government agencies under the Constitution cannot make up their own powers. They have to be delegated. And if it's non-delegated, they can't do it. And there's nothing clearer than that. The Tenth Amendment says it specifically. Those powers not specifically delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and the people. It's one of the strongest clauses in the Constitution. And so these bureaucrats that make up stuff and the courts that make up stuff, none of that is illegal. Anyway, let me get on to uh, an article I found here that, that, that explains what the Republicans are trying to do. It's wimpy, it's weak, but it's, it's, it's only just better than nothing. And this is from Emily Brooks, 512, so this is May 12th, so this is a couple of weeks old. But it's still pretty current because this this debate is the same debate every time, right? She says, here are four top areas of debt ceiling compromise the GOP is on. She says, with negotiations in the White House underway this week, House Republicans are getting more candid about what compromises they consider more feasible in a debt ceiling deal. Of course, you know my deal. Cut spending. That's my deal. That's it. There is no debt ceiling increase. That's the deal. But they say Representative Garrett Graves, Republican of Louisiana, a deputy to Speaker Kevin McCarthy, a Republican of California, who also who was central to outlining the House GOP debt limit bill, told reporters in a lengthy pen and pad discussion Thursday that the lowest hanging fruits for agreement with Democrats are permitting reform, work requirements for public assistance, in other words, welfare programs, spending caps and rescinding unspent COVID-19 funds. Well, the easiest one is rescinding unspent COVID funds. Just stop. You know, if it hasn't been spent, you can't spend it. It's too late. Uh, public, you know, work requirements, that's, that's, that's work fair. In other words, you get welfare for a certain amount of time, and if you're able-bodied, it gets cut off if, you're not, if you don't have a job. Uh, permitting reform, I guess, is to make energy easier to get, and I think that's it. So we got uh, energy, COVID reforms, spending caps, uh, which is a debt ceiling. Debt ceiling is a spending cap. Uh, and, res- and rescinding unspent COVID-19 funds. Let's go over these individually. Okay, okay, uh, here we go. Let me skip down a bit. House Republican debt bill, which was intended to be a starting point for negotiations, paired a $1.5 trillion debt ceiling increase with about $4.8 trillion in cuts and policy reforms. 4.8 over how much time? <laughs> I don't believe that's in one year because that, that's the... The revenue they take in is about $4.8 trillion. I says, but they knew that much of that was a non-starter for Democrats. Well, how come the Democrats have all the power? Anyway, it says, in addition to capping spending at 2022 levels, uh, clawing back unused COVID funds, blocking Biden's student loan forgiveness, uh, sending a boost in IRS funding, that would be for the 87,000 agents, legislation included the, entirely, the entirety of Republicans' HR1 energy bill that would boost production of, of what they say are fossil fuels. You don't have to boost production of fossil fuels, in other words, organic fuels, you just have to take the restrictions off, and that costs nothing. Let's take these individually and see if I can find out. Comment, comment, dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. We'll take them one at a time. Let's start with work requirements, and I'll get to Bianchi. House Republican debt increase bill, House Republican debt increase bill, beefed up work requirements to 20 hours per week for recipients of supplemental nutrition assistance program, previously known as food stamps, which I still call Food stamps, between 50 and 56 years old. What? There were, no, there were also changes proposed to the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families Program, T-A-N-F, what's that, TAMF, <laughs> and outlined work requirements for Medicaid. Since the lowest hanging fruit are those areas where common sense Democrats in the past have robust support, have had robust support, 
in other words, under Clinton. And work requirements are certainly among them. And that's Re- Representative Dusty Johnson. Let's just, I mean, I know Pianki's answer, but I want to talk about it anyway. Work requirements for welfare. Why is that even a question? Pianki? Not only, you know, I don't like the idea of 20 hours. It should be 40 hours. Uh, if you can only find a part-time job, then the rest of the time should be taken up doing community service. That is an option in mm-hmm. many situations. Yeah, I, I, you know, if someone's on welfare and, and uh, they're doing community service, I can see the continuing their welfare, but they have to do something 40 hours a week. Do nothing. But I would also include job training, you know, things they should have gotten already, but obviously didn't. So why can't they do that? You know, why can't they put the, well, that you in have, as well? Uh, you have those programs. I can't think of the name of it that uh, where people do go and uh-huh. receive job training, and they get paid for it, which you know is kind of optional, also. Yeah, I think even California had that. Remember when I was in California, you had to uh, you had to be looking for a job, job in order to get unemployment compensation. I think don't all states yeah, have that? Job for it. Yeah. And they call it a job for Mm-hmm. So they have it for unemployment compensation. Shouldn't, why wouldn't they have it for welfare? That doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, when you're on unemployment, you have to report to the unemployment office. And right. at the time that I remember, they had a computer where you go look up job postings, mm-hmm. and you had to show, fill out a report showing where you have actively sought employment while on unemployment. You would just mm-hmm. you just uh, collect the check and stay at home. Yeah. I've seen the forms. You know, did you look for work this week? You know, where did you look for work this week? And that 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 sense. I mean welfare should be the same thing. So so welfare should gradually diminish, you know, and end at no more than two years. It's like two years for lifetime welfare. And that's it. No intergenerational welfare. Nobody signs up for it at eighteen and lives on it and then has a bunch of kids. And there should be no money for extra kids. If you have if you have one kid, you get a supplement for that kid, but that's it. If you have more kids, the supplement shouldn't change. So there should be no incentive for having more kids. Absolutely, and, I mean, the, and the rate should be based yeah. on the occupants of the residence. If you got yeah. adults staying at the residence, they should be contributing to the welfare of the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get yeah, the kids out working at sixteen too. Anyway, here's another one, permitting reform. Uh, It says, efforts to streamline regulations and procedures for building new energy projects have been a priority in both parties. (laughs) No, they haven't, though they have disagreed on the details. So, and let me see what else is uh, Graves highlighted comments from the White House. Clean Energy Advisor John Podesta, (laughs) in other words, Democrat hack, uh, about the need for permitting reform at the Bipartisan Policy Center this week. Uh, this is uh, da, 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 da. all right. So permitting reform, in other words, making it easier to get energy projects going. So that should be a priority anyway. They don't have. When's the last time we built a nuclear plant? Thirty years ago? Forty years ago? How long has it been since we built a nuclear plant? It's been a while, but some state is getting ready to build three of them. I forget which one it is. Oh, that's interesting. Well, there we go. Okay. Well, besides the fact that Hillary gave away twenty percent of uranium, thanks, Hillary. Really appreciate that. Speaking of Russian collusion, um, we've got a good amount of uranium, don't we? I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't really looked up our supply, but don't we have a decent amount? Well, you got to go out west and do your prospecting. Yeah, bring my Geiger counter. Thank you, Geiger. Appreciate it. 
<laughs> yeah, but as far as I know, I mean, we have, we're rich in natural resources. We don't even need it because we've got plenty of uh, organic fuels, but uh, nuclear is the safest form of, of electric generation. It just makes steam. You know, of course, you have to contain it. You have a big, con- big concrete container around it. Um, that's what they didn't have in Chernobyl. That's why Chernobyl was such a disaster. They didn't, they didn't do their containment. Why? Because they don't have liability. <laughs> you know, liability is what saves us, and we'll talk about that too. All right, so we did work requirements. We did permitting. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, spending caps. Uh, it says we don't live in a world with unlimited resources. Okay, that's they say, oh yeah. And for those who want to increase SNAP benefits for the most needy Americans, you know where the big I'll tell you the biggest thing they could do: cut off all the uh, all the illegal aid to illegal aliens. That would be a huge thing right there. They're getting free hotels, free health benefits. They're getting phones. They're getting uh, transportation all over the country, and it's being funded by us. They're taking our money to give to NGOs, to give to illegals, to spread them around the country in mostly Republican districts. That would be a big savings. Just stop that right there. Stop bringing people in. I guess there's no objection on that. <laughs> this is pretty much a no-brainer. Um, here's recent unspent COVID funds. Why would this be an issue? This is Biden said following his meeting with McCarthy and other top leaders at the White House on Thursday that rescinding unspent COVID-19 funds uh, is on the table, but is not on the table. Giving Republicans well, reasons to what, believe that, 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 a comp- that should yeah. be a given. Yeah. If you don't use it, give it back. It's just like, you know, Missouri has a Hancock Amendment, which basically states that when the state of Missouri revenue exceeds its expenditures by a certain percentage, mm-hmm. then that excess has to go back to the taxpayers. So that's that incentive, though, to, but that's incentive, though, to spend up to it. I mean, I agree that unspent money should go back to the taxpayers. That makes sense. But then the question is, do they do they try to spend up to their spending limits so they don't have well, to get money based back? On, they probably base it on previous. Uh, and, you know, I think they have, I think like we talked earlier, when, when programs have a shelf life, when the program is done what it was supposed to do, it ends, and that money goes back to the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. All right, let's just take out this article on board with it. Let's see what else we got here. Yeah, um, that's crazy. <laughs> you know, that they don't. Well, what we should do is I'm going to put a big note to myself here. Uh, how about a, a sunset spending law so that if Congress does not spend money within, I don't know, one year or two years of a bill, let's say two years just for now. So sunset spending. Sunset spending. So unspent money. Is automatically returned to the Treasury. Unspent money. Well, that's the way it is with military spending, isn't it? You get close to November, and they haven't spent the money that they had proposed in the budget, present budget, then that money uh, should go back to where it came from. But no, what they do is try to come up with things to buy in order to use up all the money for the present budget. That way they can raise the budget for the next fiscal year. Yeah, they do. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So what we need, so that's where auditing comes in. So if if Congress did the job, and I don't think that requires legislation, that just requires better auditing. So if Congress said, okay, um, we're going to uh, we're going to do a lot better, or, or just say you spent money, you spent uh, you know a third of your budget in the last month. Why did you do that? You know, and they could say, okay, well, we needed this, this, and this. And they said, no, you didn't. You just spent money, you know, so that you have more money next year. 
And that's where zero-based budgeting comes in. So, they, so what Congress does now is they, they take the current level of spending and they increase it by a certain percentage, 5%, whatever it is, per year. Well, that's crazy. What they should do is evaluate every program and say, well, you know what? In fact, budgeting is the major thing that Congress should do. They should spend most of their time and most of their resources setting the federal budget. And that would include auditing. So any department that spends a whole bunch of money right before the fiscal year ends, that should be cut from the spending for the next year. That wouldn't require legislation. That just requires willpower. But we might have to have legislation to do that. You know, so then we could put, uh, you know, a cap on, on spending rush. So, so cap. Then you know another thing, too? That uh-huh. type of, that what contributes to that is inflation. And what they say, well, things cost more now, so we have to increase our budget. Well, things cost more because you've done things that cost things to cost more in your yeah. inflationary programs and in your inflationary administrations. Uh-huh. Yeah, increase inflation. Yep, yep. The, the government. Well, it's like that thing. Remember the thing I wrote to, uh, talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, I said I had government economics raise the debt ceiling, borrow and spend above the debt ceiling claim we need to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations. Raise the debt ceiling. It's cyclical. That's how it works. Raise the debt ceiling, borrow above the debt ceiling, claim we need to raise the debt ceiling to meet our obligations, and then raise the debt ceiling. <laughs> it's self-perpetuating. Same thing here. Spend, more, spend all the money that you're given and say that you need more money next year, even though you spend it on useless stuff. So that's a cultural thing. That's a culture of Washington. That they spend, they take the last little bit of their time and spend everything in the last little bit. It's crazy. Let me give you another one here. This is I want to get into the 14th Amendment stuff too because I want to dismiss that as a as a total loony thing. This is from Reason Magazine. This is debt ceiling. Jonathan H. Alder, uh, May 15th. So what? Last week. He's, it's called uh, the Vol the Volok conspiracy. V O L O K H. Some Russian the Volok conspiracy. Uh, he says the eternal recurrence of debt ceiling debates. Well, I explained the cycle. Raise the debt ceiling, you know, spend above it, you know, say you have to raise the debt ceiling to cover spending, and then raise the debt ceiling again. That's how it works. He says the current debate is a replay of debates we've had before and will likely have again. Well, that's why I wrote my constitutional amendment. He says in yesterday's New York Times, Michael McConnell explains why the idea that the 14th Amendment gives the president unilateral power to borrow uh, is dangerous nonsense. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about uh, Maybe we should do that one first, but now that I'm here, I'll do this one. He says, Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, enacted in the wake of the Civil War, says the validity of the public debt of the United States, authorized by law, shall not be questioned. Well, I can't believe anything in the Constitution says something can't be questioned. That, that's absurd in its face. But let's see what they say. He says, the immediate purpose was to prevent future Congresses, uh, if controlled by pro-Confederate Democrats, because everybody should know, the Confederacy was the Democrat Party, just to let you know. The insurrection, the Civil War, was caused by the Democrats. Uh, it's uh, from repudiating, it says, uh, if controlled by Congress, Democrats, it says, from repudiating pension obligations and other debts incurred to win the Civil War. No doubt it applies beyond those narrow circumstances, but by its terms, it does not authorize the president to borrow more money in violation of Article 1, Section 8, Clause 2, which is the very thing I'm trying to delete. Let me say that again. No doubt it applies beyond those narrow circumstances, but by its terms, it does not authorize the president to borrow more money in violation of Article 1, Section 8, Clause 2, nor does it authorize the president to impose taxes in violation of Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1, 
by its terms, it does not augment the president's powers one iota. So in other words, the president cannot tax unilaterally, and the president cannot unilaterally. And anything to the country is loony. It simply isn't true. Case made? <laughs> Questions, Bianchi? I had a trash truck going by me, so some might have missed it. I agree with that. So. Yeah. Yep. That's something that uh, that's, that's an underhanded scheme of turning something into something other than what it was designed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was designed to cover. Well, I'll read. Uh, I'll get to the other article. What it what it actually is does, uh, and it says here. It says, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Nor does Section Four have anything to do with payment of the national debt. It does not make it unconstitutional for the United States to run out of money. Nice idea, but impossible. Because we just talked about that with Derek. We ran out in 2014. We defaulted. The world went on. Our credit rating was lowered, but the the world didn't end. So Section 4 prevents prevents the only institution of government that could deny the the validity of the debt, namely Congress, from doing so. So it says Congress cannot question debts that were... uh, that we're rung up here. This is for the United States to fail to pay interest or principal on its debt would be financially catastrophic. And actually it has been, but it would not affect the validity of the debt. So the debt's still valid. That's what they're saying. Congress cannot erase the debt by simply saying it doesn't exist. I think that's what's really going on here. Then it says when borrowers fail to make payments on lawfully incurred debt, this does not question the validity of those debts. Their debts are just as valid as they were before. The borrowers are just in default. So what this is saying is that, that uh, the president, or Brandon, who's currently occupying the White House, cannot all of a sudden spend money and cannot tax more simply because of a, a clause in the 14th Amendment because they're misusing it. The debt is still valid. That's right. Yeah. The president is only an administer. He doesn't uh, create mm-hmm. spending bills. That's yep. not his position. And that's why you get into this case. Now they, they will want to take that to a court of judges that was appointed by Democrats. Hmm. Yeah, but and see, quite this is where up. they're going yeah. to have sentiment toward who? Democrats. It's Democrats that want to abuse the law, abuse the rules. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, the whole purpose of... They abuse of, the Constitution. Yeah, the whole purpose of leftists on the Supreme Court is to go around the Constitution. That's, that's, what they, that's why they're there. That's their job is to violate the Constitution. You take a look at any leftist on the court. Every one of them has violated the Constitution. They don't care. That's why leftists are, are incapable of serving on the Supreme Court, because they don't care about the Constitution. Anyway, the last paragraph says, uh, it says here, moreover, even if the president were to issue new bonds without congressional authorization, which I don't think can be done, the text of Section 4 makes plain that these bonds would not be constitutionally binding. Only public debt, quote, authorized by law, meaning by statute, has any status. Were Mr. Biden, <laughs> just in choice of words, to issue bonds on his unilateral authority, the bond market would know that those bonds were not backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. Sensible investors would not purchase such bonds or would demand such a high-risk premium as to make them uneconomical. That's interesting. Well, here's the thing with that. You're uh-huh. spending the people's money. Yep. All the people. Money. So the people, through Congress, their congressional representation, have a right to determine if that money is to be spent. Not Mm -hmm. one president who comes from one state and probably won by a democracy rather than the 
idea of a, a sovereign republic. Mm-hmm. That's where the problem comes. President should not be in a position where he can arbitrarily go out and spend money. That spending has to come through Congress. Yep. The way it was intended well, to. There's a provision that says that all spending bills originate in the House. I don't know where it is, but I know it's there. We've talked about it. So here's what Section 4 says. Section 4 of Amendment of the 14th Amendment. Validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, in other words, the Civil War, shall not be questioned. So this is a Civil War provision. Now, maybe they should have said Civil War, but they didn't. And so this is why this section, I don't believe this section should ever have been in the Constitution. I think it was, this, is, this is causing more problems than it's solving, but it's there. So we can either amend it and get rid of it, but we should understand it, that this was a Civil War provision. So, and, and what they're doing is they're just taking the part about shall not be questioned. So what the Democrats read is the validity of the public debt is the national debt, and that debt cannot be questioned. That's what the Democrats are reading, yeah, and that's simply not right. true. Yeah, because not, that's not what the amendment says. Yeah. That's like the 14th Amendment. Yeah, the, it, was the, a, go ahead. it was a Civil War provision. Just think about this. Now you are trying to make those states that succeeded to pay for those that fought against them. Mm-hmm. What kind of asinine idea is that? Well, it's like reparations for slavery when slavery <laughs> you know, ended in 60, 1864. You know, I think I guess here i got to run by you. So it seems to me that this big push for reparations for slavery is a way to cover uh, and distract from reparations for segregation. Because if the GOP said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're not going to pay reparations for slavery because nobody alive today either caused it, was affected by it, or had anything to do with it. We don't have, we haven't had slavery since, since the Civil War ended. So then the question is, what about segregation? There are millions of people alive today who are victims of segregation. So why don't they get reparations from the Democrat Party, the ones that caused it? I think the well, whole what's the criteria? Is the criteria the breaking of the law or right or wrong? I don't know. I don't is know. I mean, it I'm, I'm just, wrong I'm, or is it breaking the law? So is it wrong that you have to serve time for the crime you committed? Or is it the law that you have to serve time for the crime you committed? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, in actual fact, these are ex post facto laws. You can't publish, you can't punish people for things that were illegal, that were legal at the time, even if the laws themselves were illegal. So we really can't have reparations for segregation because those, those were duly passed laws. But the problem was those laws were and should have been illegal. It certainly were under the Bill of Rights. Let me get to Section 4. Let me get to another section of the, uh, uh, the 14th Amendment. I always quote Section 1. In fact, I didn't, I didn't even read the rest of these. I'd, I'd forgotten that they existed. So this is an interesting case. So here's a perfect example of only taking part of the clause. Section 1, all persons born or naturalized in the United States. That's what people say. They say, well, look, if you're born in the United States, you know, if all persons born in the United States, that means people who are born on U.S. soil are citizens. Not true. It also says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. In other words, nationality, citizenship. This is a citizenship clause. So when they say jurisdiction, you're the subject to American jurisdiction because you're a U.S. citizen. In other words, you can go to the U.S. embassy in a foreign country and get help, right? Or you're subject to the jurisdiction of the country of your own citizenship, Mexico, Honduras, Argentina, Ireland, whatever. But you can't give birth to a U.S. citizen if the parents are subject to the jurisdiction of another country. That's what the 14th Amendment says. And everybody forgets the second part, subject to the jurisdiction thereof. But that's what it means. 
Jackie? Absolutely correct. So let's apply to the fourth section then. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law. So it has to be duly passed. So in other words, it can't be authorized by the president because it says public debt authorized by law, which means Congress, right? Including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties, you know, for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion. That was the Civil War. Shall not be questioned. So in other words, what they're saying, and this is what the article previously said, that the, if, if Congress was full of pro-secession Democrats, in other words, if Confederacy Democrats got to Congress, they couldn't then overturn laws um, that, that uh, pay for the Civil War. In other words, they couldn't make the, the Union you know, pay for the Civil War against the Confederacy. That's basically what it says. I don't think that was necessary, but they put it in here. I think it's kind of stupid, actually, because it's causing us problems today. Then it says, but, but neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debts or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States. So in other words, you can't reward the Confederacy either. Or any claim for the loss of emancipation of any slave, but all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. It's a really confusing section. I wish it wasn't in the Constitution, but it doesn't mean what they say it means. And the Democrats cannot use this to unilaterally increase the debt ceiling and spend money and raise taxes. They simply can't do it. But they're claiming they can't. Well, the mother of the section is the earliest reading, the earliest wording of the section. And mm-hmm. anything that comes after that is really child play. So you have to go back to what the, the beginning content uh, describes. Yeah, I've actually got the full debate on the 14th Amendment. By law means yeah. by Congress, not by yeah. the president. Right, because president can't make law. And executive orders are only valid if they are derived from uh, a law passed by Congress or an authorization or a spending authorization. president cannot take unilateral action. The president is governed by the, the laws duly passed by Congress. Now, the president can veto laws. That's a check on Congress. Supreme Court can, can overturn a law passed by Congress and an executive order of the president. That check on those two. But in the same way, the president, uh, I'm not sure the president, but the Congress can certainly overturn a Supreme Court decision the same way the Supreme Court can overturn a congressional act. By, by statute. Well, a president vetoing a law is where party politics comes into play. Well, that's true. Well, party politics is everywhere. Let me read this part here. Here's a different article on the same 14th Amendment. I really want to clear this 14th Amendment up, stuff up today. I've only got 25 minutes left, so this is the time to do it. 27 minutes left. Invoking the 14th Amendment would be worse than default. J.D. Rucker, May 22nd, so four days ago. Following the Civil War, the 14th Amendment was adopted to secure citizenship for all natural-born Americans, including former slaves. That's the Section 1 that we've talked about already. Then he says, but a section of the amendment is being proposed as an end uh, around for the debt ceiling, and many radical leftists are encouraging the White House to use it instead of negotiating with House Republicans. See, that's what it's really about. In other words, the Democrats want to make law on their own. They want to be, able, they want to be strong, like Obama. I got a pen and a phone. I don't need Congress. If Congress won't do it, I'll do it without them. That's unconstitutional. That's treason. <laughs> you can't do that. You cannot act unilaterally and well, do know, things. That, that's a dictatorship. Go ahead. Even that portion of it has a flaw in it because mm-hmm. the slave's domicile was where he came from. 
the same way it would be with a illegal. They're domiciled mm-hmm. or where they are under the control of is where they came from. And of course, so if, ask the, a question. if the child, if the parent, if the parent is a, they get back to if the parent is illegal, the child is illegal. Well, that's what we said before too. So here's a question for you: um, When slaves came here, they were citizens of their countries. I mean, there were countries, obviously, during the slave days. So, did those countries want their citizens back? I mean, what happened? Could slaves return to various African nations that they were taken from? And did they? Their practice was expulsion. They expulsion. Then you have that too in uh, with Britain that helped formulate the colony of Australia. Well, the British took Irish prisoners and they made Australia a penal colony. So, so genetically, Australians are descended from prisoners. So it makes them a rather interesting bunch. <laughs> you can see the effects to this day. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I don't know if they were ever allowed, allowed back. To, I, I guess they went back to Ireland after their prison term was done. But a lot of, uh, m- you know, much of Australia, the white population is, is descended from Irish prisoners. <laughs> that to me is interesting. Well, many <laughs> yeah. societies done that too, Greg. Many mm-hmm. societies around the world have that form of expulsion. Hmm. Well, since the slaves, a lot of the people that were taken for slaves were criminals in their country, did those countries want the former slaves back or no? Or were they allowed to go back? Well, it depends on the criminality. They had to pay restitution. If you weren't able to pay restitution, then mm-hmm. you, you sell it for what you can get to go toward their restitution. Okay. And if they couldn't sell it for what they could get, then to prevent them from committing a same criminal act, in the near future, like next week, where they kill them. Hmm. Yeah, that would stop the crime problem. Unless, of course, you kill somebody that's innocent, and that's always my problem with the death penalty. All right, well, let, me, let me get more of this article. Let's see, I think this is, this is fascinating. Okay, and then it says, every American needs to understand two things. First, invoking the 14th Amendment as a way to print more money to pay our debts without raising the debt ceiling actually would be the straw that breaks the camel's back. In this case, the camel is the U.S. dollar's tenuous position as the world reserve currency. Second, most of those who are pressing uh, Joe Biden to invoke the 14th Amendment are well aware that it would rapidly tank the economy. In fact, they're banking on it. So this is the other thing, too, is that the Democrats hate this country so much they're willing to bankrupt us and all our savings and all our economy and all our jobs and all the things that we like to do, you know, because they want their, their communist revolution. That's, that's a lot of what's going on here. He says, would defaulting on our debts be bad? Absolutely. It would not be as bad as Treasury Security Janet Yellen and her team of progressive economic advisors have deduced. They believe, or at least state as their belief, that models show a U.S. government default would be catastrophic, sending more markets spiraling, driving up unemployment, shutting down businesses, and starting a chain reaction that results in fiscal carnage. Well, that didn't happen in 2014. Yeah, we had a problem. I mean, 2014 was an economic disaster, but it didn't stop the country. It didn't, it didn't destroy the economy. It just affected it really badly. He says it would be bad. I'm not an economist, but those I've consulted with think Yellen may be overstressing the dangers, overstating the dangers. Yeah, I think so, too. With that said, none of them were willing to go on record saying they thought Yellen was being overly dramatic. So my concerns have not been fully abated. Yeah, mine neither. Uh, And no one brings up what we bring up, that if you cut spending, you don't have to increase the debt ceiling. Let me get more 14th Amendment stuff here. Is there anything I want to report? Well, on yes, you should. Yeah. You, it, 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 getting back to the same thing, you uh-huh. have, see 
when they increase spending, right? Increase these departments and programs. The programs have to have departments to run them. Departments have to hire people, and right. the employment of the number of people can be tremendous. Uh, it also becomes a blo- a voting block. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what Newsweek says about this. is Andrew Stanton, uh, May 8th. Uh, how is the 14th Amendment connected to the debt ceiling? So now I'm going to give you the point of view of the leftists. So this is, the, it says, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen responded to calls for, for insurrectionists, my word, Joe Biden, to invoke the 14th Amendment to raise the debt ceiling as the federal government faces a looming decline, deadline, excuse me, to avoid a default on its financial obligations. Treasury Department has warned that lawmakers have until June 1st, which is... Check my calendar here. It's Friday the 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th, 31. That would be Thursday. Next Thursday. Guess what we're going to talk about Tuesday and Wednesday. Janet Yeltsin is Russian. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeltsin's Russian? Huh. Well, she would know about communist economies then. Anyway, she's lying. Well, that's, the way, they do. that's the way they do in those countries, right? Uh, Don't they call Putin a dictator? Yeah. You well, know, I don't, let, I don't me, to... let me say this. Yeah, go ahead. It, it, it makes a it makes a lot of difference when you look at the origin of people that you bring to the table and give responsibility, because mm-hmm. they're going to play out the traditional the societal norms and tradition where they come from, and try to apply those sentiments in their decision-making at your table. And that's that what you sense. have. It's the, old, that it's the old cliche that blood is thicker than water. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. I remember Dr. Peter Pry. I think his family was Russian originally. And so he had a real hate for communism, which makes sense. You know, Josie uh, from Nicaragua can't stand dictators or communists. She hates them both. Um I grew up in different countries, but I, I'm a big, you know, enemy of socialism because I, you know, I didn't really see it. Well, Canada and Australia, when I was there, were pretty much free market countries. They hadn't lost their way yet. But when I got to the United States, uh, the first thing I noticed was how big the government was and how, how it's everywhere, how big the military was, because I came here during the Vietnam War in 1972. And so it was interesting looking around. I came here with Watergate and the Vietnam War. And I thought, hmm, interesting country. But the first thing you notice when you come to the United States is how big the federal government is. And, and I thought any government that big can do what, uh, you know, Nazi Germany's government did or communist China's government did or uh, I didn't really know about the killing fields yet. I don't, I don't think Cambodia had happened. But I certainly studied, you know, dictatorships before I came here. You know, Germany, Russia, and China being the biggest ones. And you take a look at feudal societies, same thing. Warlords and uh, shoguns, you know, in Japan. Any, any dictatorial society has, has problems because they, they get power mad and, you know, disgusting. Um, but Russia, I'll check that out, uh, Janet Yellen's origins. That sounds interesting to, uh, to see. Anyway, Newsweek says the Treasury Department has warned that lawmakers until June 1 to reach an agreement that would raise the federal government, the government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling to avoid a default. That is a lie. That is an absolute bald-faced lie. The Treasury Department, has, uh, what it should say, is that the government has until June 1 to cut spending below the debt ceiling or raise the debt ceiling. That would be a true statement. But the idea that the only, the only recourse is raising the debt ceiling is simply a lie. 
Jackie? You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing with uh, Dr. Fascist and, and vaccines. Yeah. The only, the only way we can uh, stop COVID, yeah, is to uh, get to wear a mask and, uh, you know, lock down and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, get the vaccine. We need a vaccine as soon as possible. That was a bald-faced lie. He was an absolute liar. We had early treatments. We had immune system boosters. We had fresh air, sunshine. We had a ton of different things we could do. That was not the only way. It's the only way they wanted. Just like here. This is not the only way. This is the only way they want to solve the crisis. But it is far from the only way. In fact, I outlined a bunch of them in my uh, constitutional amendment bill. I had about, what, 15 different ways to handle this situation? Well, you know who's supposed to straighten this Congress out. Go ahead. The state. Yep. The state is the entity Mm -hmm. that's supposed to put its foot down and straighten out, bring this Congress back into line, this Congress and any other Congress. But they don't do it. You got elbow. That's one reason why some people hate states' rights. They prefer to have the federal courts and Congress. Blacks turned to the federal courts and Congress. They didn't turn to the states. Why? Because they were a minority in the states. Didn't have no mm. leeway. Mm. But as a bloating block, you have influence, or potential anyway, bloating block, you have influence with Congress. Yeah, plus the Just media. Just think about it. Any yep. judge, if a, you know, you and I could be judges or, or any person that the community chooses to be the judge could be the judge. There's no mm-hmm. uh, particular qualifications for being a judge. Mm-hmm. You don't have to I be mean, a lawyer. Look at Solomon. What's, what was what was his background? Did he have a law degree? No, I don't think they had them then. Well, they must have had some, some approximation. I bet you Rome had law degrees. Probably the Greeks did too. I if Egypt has had be to look up the, the the ancient laws. I mean, England has a, has a law tradition going back a couple thousand years. I mean, Magna Carta was not written by uh, architects. But you know, Greg, things have gotten so uh, much out of control. It's kind of like a chessboard, you know, strategic moves. For every mm-hmm. potential, every uh, obvious move, there's a counter move to go around mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. that's what you're seeing today. It's just completely out of control. The only entity that can bring it back in control is the state. Because those that are using this game, playing this game to their devious uh, convenience and benefits, they are not going to change. It's like king of the hill. If you can't yeah. heal, you're going to kick the ladders over, right? <laughs> well, and see, here's the weird part, though, that the, the federal government is not king of the hill, not constitutionally. Perception-wise, they are. People say that the uh, federal government has supremacy over the states and the states over the people, and that's simply not true. It's actually the opposite. The people have supremacy over the states and the states have supremacy over the federal government because it's the states that ratify the Constitution. I mean, I can argue this and prove it. It's the states that ratify the Constitution and only gave the federal government certain powers. Well, they can't exceed those powers. So what the states need to do is find a way to rein in the federal government, either by denying payments, by denying budget, by recalling their representatives and say, look, you can't represent our state anymore. That's what they should do with the senators. So you can't do it. You know, so recall is a good way to do it. 
Um, but uh, the best one, of course, is the elections. But, you know, there's got to be ways that the states can impact the federal government. And what they really need to do is go after the bureaucracies because that's where the real power is. You know, we need we need bills on on uh, drastically reining in the bureaucracies. I would love to find a new way to govern without bureaucracies. I'm not sure how to do it. This, this is a, the one great unanswered question that I have is how do we structure a government without independent fiefdoms, you know, called bureaucracies? I'm not sure how. You know, maybe decentralize, maybe move around, maybe limit their people, maybe, uh, you know, have them as advisors to the states. I mean, I'm not sure how to do it, but there's got to be a new way to uh, to do this. Well, let me get this article here. I want to get to the part well, where, where they, they lie. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead and get, to, get through the article. Yeah, it's, not, it's not too much left. It says Republicans who control the House say they will not agree to raise the debt ceiling without spending cuts. Well, that's stupid. What you should do is say we will not raise the debt ceiling, period. We are only going to talk about spending cuts. That's what they should say, but they're gelding, so they didn't. Then it says, but an agreement has not been reached between them and Brandon, a Democrat who has accused House Republicans of holding debt negotiations hostage. Well, you know who's holding hostage is Brandon. Then it says, as congressional negotiations continue, some legal experts are suggesting that Brandon uh, could turn to a separate legal mechanism to unilaterally increase the debt ceiling without the support from Republicans. All right, here's where the lie comes in. It says, uh, it says, calls for Biden to invoke the 14th Amendment to avoid default if an agreement is reached by the end of the month. Okay, there we go. He says, here, and it says, what does the 14th Amendment say about debt, debt limit? This is where it gets interesting. Here's a different point of view. The 14th Amendment was ratified on July 9th, 1868, uh, after the American Civil War to abolish slavery and ensure civil rights for black Americans. It has since become a powerful amendment that has played a role in crucial legal cases from the Supreme Court. Some legal experts say the 14th Amendment could provide the president, the, the president, a legal mechanism to raise the debt ceiling, specifically pointing to a section four of the amendment. Okay, here's where they start lying. The validity, the Fourth Amendment actually says, as we read before, the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. The amendment reads. Well, they forgot the, that's only the first third of it. <laughs> There's a lot missing. So if you only take the selected part that you like, you know, you can make it say what you want. And that's what they did. They took only part of the 14th Amendment. They took the part that they liked. They left out the bottom part of it. Cannot be questioned. All right. So that's the first. I think it's like, hang on, Amendment 14, Section 4. Yeah, that's like the first, you know, 40% of it. Then it says, Allison Lacroix. University of Chicago law professor told Newsweek that the legal theory behind advocates for invoking the 14th Amendment is based around the idea that Congress, by imposing a debt limit, is in violation of this clause and that Brandon can argue he is constitutionally bound to continue paying the government's debt. That's fascinating because he didn't incur it. Congress did. But anyway, he says the most aggressive reading, I think, would be. That's erroneous. Oh, of course it is. As I said, this is where they lie. All right. So the lie is this is legal theory. And of course, it's not proven. It's just an, it's just a theory. The legal theory behind the advocates for the 14th Amendment say that by imposing a debt limit, it says that based on the idea that Congress, by imposing a debt limit, in other words, the debt ceiling is in violation of the 14th Amendment and that, that Brandon can argue he is constitutionally bound to continue paying the government's debt. So even though the debt was raised illegally above the debt ceiling. They're saying that the 14th Amendment says that the president can pay basically an unauthorized debt at will by himself. That to me is ludicrous. Not only that, 
then at that time, they didn't have no technological means to be up to date on the cost. So the costs would continue to come in even after the war was over. So that's one yeah. of the reasons why Congress was written like that. Yeah, so they couldn't they couldn't take the so things that were promised during the war war bonds pensions benefits remember the bonus bonus protests the bonus wars where World War One soldiers were promised bonuses for serving in World War One and the government I think under Wilson said oh, not we lied sorry you don't get it <laughs> well there protests in Washington there was there was an armed insurrection of World War One soldiers in Washington D.C. soldiers marched with their their guns their rifles demanding their bonuses you ever looked that up that's fascinating. You have to, it's, it's, it's true. It's the yeah. same. It's, it's just as good as the argument as some people saying that Jackson went against uh, the 40 acres and a mule. That yeah. it was something that was made by a general. General had no rights to make. They don't have no power to make those type of uh, promises. Mm-hmm. Let's long carry them out. So yeah, I didn't know it was made by a general. That's interesting. Do you remember which general? You know who said that? Sherman. <laughs> That's interesting. All right. Yeah. I mean, it was probably a war bribe. He said, hey, look what I did. <laughs> I told everybody I was going to give him 40 acres in the middle. That, but explain that, uh, that bonus one more time so, so people can understand okay, so what you're I, talking about. I don't have an article right in front of me, but the bonus wars, and they were called wars, the, but there were World War I soldier, soldiers that came back. And they were promised bonuses for, for serving in World War I and for combat. And the government then said, well, sorry, we can't afford them. We're not going to pay them. Well, they all took up arms. Well, let me look it up real quick. I'll, I'll find it for you. Hang on. Put a bookmark and in my 14th that Amendment. And you know, in, in places where you had uh, in uh-huh. African countries where soldiers from those countries fought with uh, European forces like France and maybe Britain, especially Britain. You had Ghanaian soldiers that uh, performed a similar act when Britain reneged, sort of reneged on its promises also. So they yeah. took the arms in March. This is from Britannica. Yeah, here's one from Britannica. This is a book gathering 10,000 to 25,000 World War One veterans uh, who, with their wives and children, converged in Washington, D.C. in 1932. So this is why this started the Depression, right? Demanding immediate power where they couldn't immediate bonus payments for wartime services to alleviate the economic hardship of the Great Depression. Adjusted compensation certificates, or bonuses, have been approved by Congress in 1924, but were not scheduled for full payments until 1945. Wasn't that convenient? In in an effort to force early lump sum payment of these urgently needed benefits, the Bonus Army, sometimes called the Bonus Expeditionary Force, that's what we were called World War I, the American Expeditionary Force, right, that went over to Europe, Converged on the nation's capital in the spring of 1932, they moved into abandoned shacks below the capital and set up shanties and tents along the Anacostia River. Despite inadequate housing, sanitation, and food, the, so like, that, like a tent city today of homeless, right? The movement's leader, Walter W. Waters, my parents are so bad with names, managed to maintain order to uh, oust agitators. In mid-July, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill that authorized an immediate payout of bonuses to the veterans, but the Senate rejected the bill, <laughs> and most of the veterans left for home discouraged. The rest very depressed. Uh, good question. It would have been 1920. Who's president in 1924? It wasn't Wilson. He was out. I think Hoover. It says here. It's very 
Very yeah, quickly. There you 10, go. <laughs> Hang on for a second, oh. real quick. All right. So those those I guess you can call them settlements that they set up. You know what they was called? Hooverville. Hooverville. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what they called it in, in Washington. That was a Hooverville. Like I said, Hooverville. Hooverville my grandfather told me that. Okay. Well, let me look up Hooverville next. This is the. This is this is. I love going over this stuff. The immediate from the. Okay. So the. Uh, the next week's engaged in protest and near riots, producing an atmosphere of, of restlessness and threats. Of turbulence, but they call it an insurrection. <laughs> Local authorities requested that U.S. President Herbert Hoover intervene. Troops led by Brigadier General Perry L. Miles and accompanied by General Douglas MacArthur. And we've heard that name before, right? U.S. Army Chief of Staff drove out the demonstrators and destroyed their encampments using tanks and tear gas. Oh, it's just like Waco. <laughs> it's just Waco all over again, right? One veteran was shot to death. And you got General Perry in the mix, too. Yeah, you know, Perry L. Miles. Perry's his first name, not General Perry. Perry L. Miles. But Douglas MacArthur was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great American leader. He didn't care how many Americans he killed, obviously. He says one veteran was shot to death and several veterans and policemen were wounded. Congress then appropriated $100,000 to send the protesters home, and they dispersed. <laughs> this is fascinating. Politically, the event was a blow to Hoover. A second bonus army came in 1930 and was greeted by the new president's wife, Eleanor Roosevelt. And the list goes on. Let's look up uh, Hooverville. This is this is fun. Uh, we got a few minutes left. I'll get, I'll get this all in, and we'll get we'll be done with this. Hooverville, H. Hang on. O O V E R V I L V I L L E. Hooverville. Definition and Great Depression. History.com says Hooverville. During the Great Depression, which began in 1929 and lasted about a decade, shanty towns across America as unemployed people were evicted from their homes. As the Depression worsened in the 1930s, many looked to the federal government for assistance. When the government failed to provide relief, President Herbert Hoover was blamed for the intolerable economic and social conditions, so the shanty towns that cropped up became known as Hoovervilles. The highly unpopular Hoover was defeated in the 1932 uh, presidential election by Franklin D. Roosevelt, whose New Deal recovery programs eventually helped lift the United States out of the Depression. That's not true. <laughs> In fact, his, his, his program well, was in the Depression true. for several years. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Hoover was a Republican, and that was the beginning of the stain for Republicans within a certain people in the United States, that being blacks. Yep. Yep, Absolutely. Looks like Marco's uh, about out. He'll, uh, hey, Marco, have a great weekend, too. I don't have time to type it out. We've only got about three minutes left here. Yeah, absolutely true. That, that makes perfect sense. Uh, and that's a problem. That's a problem to this day. It's like saying that uh, the South went through a great reversal where the Southern Democrats, you know, uh, the, the segregationists were, were kicked out, and the Republicans basically became the racist the Democrats were. And that's not true. <laughs> they keep saying that, but it's not true. Uh, let me get back to the debt ceiling one more time. I want to finish this up. It says the most aggressive, this is back to our Newsweek article. The most aggressive reading I think would be that when Congress had the debt ceiling or the debt limit, that in itself was an infringement of the 14th Amendment because it called into question the validity of the public debt. And they just countered that with the other article. So, well, the debt's still valid, but you still have to pay it. <laughs> you know, the president can't, can't uh, take action against it. Then it says, should Biden invoke the 14th Amendment, he could face a lawsuit but that would likely have to come from a member of Congress who was able to prove he or she was harmed by the action. 
Uh, courts, however, could determine that this is a political dispute that should be decided between the executive and legislative branches. I don't think so. So Newsweek's got it wrong. This other article has it right. Uh, and the, the, the uh, Brandon cannot use the 14th Amendment to unilaterally uh, raise it because when they talk about the debt, the public debt not being questioned, what they're talking about is the public debt to Civil War people cannot be questioned by the now, previous insurrection. Now, you look at the person that wrote that article and see where they originated from. They probably didn't even originate in the United States. Well, I can go back and find out. Let's see. So, so let's talk about Alison Lacroix. That seems to be the, the person with the most radical uh, uh, philosophy. Let's look up Alison. A A L L I S O N L A capital C R O I X. Alison Lacroix. Let's see what comes up. Uh, Alison Lacroix, University of Chicago. University of Chicago Law School. <laughs> Here we go. Founder. Uh, yep, she looks like a liberal. Alison O'Croix is a Robert Newton Reed Professor of Law at the University of Chicago Law School, associate member of the University of Chicago Department of History, scholar of U.S. history, legal history, da da da, da. Currently writing a book on the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> Discourse between 1850 and 1861. She's got a National Endowment for the Humanities Fellowship. That's liberal. Let me see if I find some other things. Uh, published by Yale University Press. That's liberal. Harvard University Press. Liberal. To, to, served on the Presidential Commission on the Supreme Court. I don't know what that is. Holds a PhD in history from Harvard, liberal. Uh, BA from, uh, and a uh, JD, a jurisdiction, that's, that's uh, a juris doctor. That's a law degree from Yale. So she's educated at Harvard at Yale and works at the University of Chicago. They're all liberal institutions. They are. Got a Samuel, yeah, got a Samuel I. Golieb Fellowship in Legal History at, universe, at New York University School of Law. That's liberal too. Everywhere she's been is liberal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you see how that thought is injected into everyday life and also mm-hmm. uh, what's worked, I think, but more importantly, injected into the minds of unsuspected ignorant people. Yeah. Well, I knew she was liberal. I just didn't know from where and how. I didn't have the particulars, but I figured it was. There was another thing, too. You know who else is a liberal? Is the parliamentarian of the Senate. The woman that serves as parliamentarian that makes all the decisions of what is a uh, uh, what do they used to call it? There's a, there's a budget procedure that where they didn't get a full vote of Congress, and it, it wasn't actually legal, but she ruled it legal anyway. What do they call it? Um, I'm trying to think. What what's the term? Reconciliation. There we go. So they, so they said, well, this is a reconciliation bill. So it, it, it uh, you know, and I said, well, if it's a reconciliation bill, it has to be reconciling something with the Federal Budget Act. It can't just be a bill on its own. And they were saying that reconcile, they were saying the bills that were standalone budget bills were reconciliation. So it didn't have to uh, have a, a two-thirds vote of Congress. Of course, that was a lie. So the parliamentarian screwed a, a set of trillions of dollars. You know what they left out of that? That application, that? they left out truth. Truth yeah. and reconciliation. That's what they had with apartheid in South Africa. All this stuff here comes around in a complete circle. And if you don't know and understand what you're looking at, mm-hmm. you will fall for just about the anything. Yep. Great. So share you have a show. A wonderful yeah. Memorial Day weekend. Well, we'll be back. I'm, I'm going to be on the air Monday uh, doing what I do every Memorial Day, which is reading the poetry of soldiers written in combat. 
So I'll be live Monday. Well, you got to make it through the weekend and get to Monday. So have a nice well, weekend. You have a nice weekend, too. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for your help with the show. I really appreciate it. So this is a good Yeah, I enjoyed the discussions here. with you. Very few people that you can have these type of discussions with. Yeah, I, I wish more people would join us, <laughs> you know, because you know, uh, I mean, I don't mind talking to you. I mean, it's, it's great, but I'm just saying it'd be interesting to get more folks out there. But this is the only the only place I know that you can have the discussions that we have is here. Because we do deal in truth and we don't mind being controversial and we don't mind saying things blatantly. And when Congress is, is, is lying and the Treasury Secretary is lying and the media is lying, that the only way out of this is to increase the debt ceiling. That is a total and complete lie. And I don't mind saying it. And if anybody wants, anybody want, you know, somebody challenges me on these things, Pianchi? Or you, no one comes on and challenges us. They never, when we state the truth, we never get a challenge, even though it's completely different than what people are being told. I find that interesting. On that note, have a good weekend, sir. You too, <sighs> sir. Be careful. Thank you. All right. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so the website is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. RightYourLaws.com. Uh, my Substack, GregPenglis.Substack.com. Check out my latest article, The Cure for COVID Was Always Freedom. So you want to check that out? Um, our contribution site is GiveSendGo.com slash Action Radio. And my public email is Greg at WriteYourLaws.com. I'll play our traditional Friday uh, music to get us out of here. And I will see you Monday morning, Memorial Day, live Memorial Day, with our special presentation every Memorial Day of the poetry of soldiers uh, written in combat. Talk to you then. Thank <laughs> you.